Hey, I'm Charisma, and I will be joining Dave on Dave's Head Podcast. We talk about life, art, music, hosting, and whether or not flats are better than drumsticks. We all know the answer. Tune in. Hey, hey, what's up, what's up, what's up? Good morning, afternoon, or evening, good people, wherever you are on this March Madness weekend, and however we're together, thank you for being here. I'm Dave, and this is Dave's Head. So what's in my head? I gotta start on a sad note, and it's it's something that's kind of becoming normalized amongst all the bad things that are normalized in this country these days these days a couple days ago there was a shooting a mass shooting a terroristic shooting that took place in georgia eight people six asian one african-american one white american were senselessly horrendously murdered at the hands of a white man. In a press conference, the police, speaking almost for him, claimed he just had a bad day. I haven't seen his picture flooding the news in a bad light. I haven't seen people talking about his past talking about his character in a negative light. I haven't seen the word terrorist applied to his activity, mass shooting applied to his activity. Take a moment when you have one and go look up the FBI definition for a mass shooting and how many people it involves. It's not many. When you get to five, it's a mass shooting. But I haven't seen the same energy for different people when they commit acts of terror applied to this young man. And it may possibly be true that he just had a falling down moment, if you remember that movie from back in the day. It may be possible he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. It may be possible somebody cut him off in traffic and it just set him off. But he pinpointed locations specific to Asian people. Majority of the people he killed were Asian people, three quarters to be exact, six of the eight. How this is not being discussed as a hate crime, a terroristic activity, a mass shooting, more so than it's been talked about as just a mass murder, not even a mass murder, just a murder by someone who had a bad day. It's disgusting. At what point are we going to stop accepting terrorism 
is only applied to specific fear-based labels only for a specific segment of people. When are we going to stop accepting that? We can go back to January, the insurrection at the Capitol, rioting at the Capitol, looting at the Capitol, trespassing at the Capitol. And you can keep going on and on and on. An idiot congressman stated the other day that those people were Americans, law-abiding Americans. I'm laughing because it's laughable giving all the video footage of them not being lawful at all. But that he felt safe because of those specific Americans. He went further to say if it was Black Lives Matter or Antifa, he wouldn't have felt the same way. We've talked about the cancel culture in Dave's head before. We've talked about how it's not really cancel culture to me. I don't think there is a such thing as cancel culture. There's accountability culture, which is what I call it, which you do things. There are repercussions to that. I've experienced that in my personal life. I've watched it happen to other people. And now I see it being done over and over and over again for different people. Governor Cuomo in New York is now facing accountability culture. Not cancel culture, accountability culture. The numbers keep going up, up and up and up from allegations. Now, whether they're true or not, I have no idea. And I've learned a valuable lesson in my life that simply saying something happened doesn't mean it actually is true that it happened. But cancel culture isn't a thing. I'm sorry. And I'm not going to go on and on about this because we've talked about cancel culture already. It's not a phrase or a word that needs to be used anymore. It's accountability culture. You're accountable to yourself. Number one, you're accountable to your family, friends, and people close to you. Number two, you're accountable to people you impact regardless. But how long are we going to keep letting this narrative be played by the media? If you watch Fox News, which I call fixed news. If you watch MSNBC, CNN. They all have their agendas. And so what you watch on this shooting in Georgia on MSNBC is going to be different than the coverage on CNN which is going to be different than the coverage on Fox News. But all three of them claim to just be reporting the facts. At what point are we going to stop allowing the narrative to be told to us instead of setting the narrative as it is, as it factually is? A terrorist walked into two, three different places and killed eight people, six of them Asian, at Asian establishments. He didn't go to a Wawa. He didn't go to a Sam's Club. He didn't go to a liquor store somewhere. He didn't go to McDonald's. He specifically went to specific places where specific people frequent. 
and he shot those specific people, mostly, overwhelmingly. If that's not a hate crime, I don't know what it is. If that's not terror, I don't know what it is. If it's not a mass shooting, somebody needs to tell the FBI to change their website and their documents and everything else. Let's call it what it is. I say all the time, call a spade a spade. Let's do that. He was a terrorist, thug, terrorist, piece of terrorist, hateful piece of shit, terrorist, thug. Sounds appropriate. Sounds true. Sounds genuine. Most importantly, sounds factual. Next thing on my mind. So I, I told you last episode that I was excited that football was coming back. I was going to play football the coming weekend of that episode. I had two games scheduled for my team, my primary team, which if you follow me on social media, all you see me hashtag and stacked all the time. All we do, except when we don't, is win championships. We've won more championship seasons, I think, than we've not won championship seasons. We're pretty good. Great group of collective people. But also I have a second team that I play for occasionally in other leagues. And I was asked to stand in as an extra body on that team that I'm technically not part of in this particular league or these particular leagues, but I can suit up and play. And I did last Saturday. I wanted to play four games back to back to back. Four straight hours of running, jumping, catching, not diving really. Well, some diving actually, yeah, some diving. And if you're doing math, five minute half time, about five minutes between games. So it's about 10 minutes per game of not running in four hours, which equates to 40 minutes. That means three hours and 20 minutes of running. After not playing football for a considerable amount of time, definitely not running, because I haven't been doing my running workouts and running program. I've been doing a lot of inside stuff. You can't really tell if you're watching on YouTube. You know, I got a black shirt on. It's kind of hiding the growth that I've had the past month and a half, two months. It's pretty good, though. Let me tell you that. Getting beach ready. Got to get the beach ready ready. But so I played those four football games and then I came home. And if you remember from season one, I had a very, very good friend of mine, somebody I consider a brother on, Eric Healy, to talk about education. Well, he came into town, hung out with me for the day. I prepped some food, threw some stuff on the grill, watched some of the, the games on TV, drank a nice 12 pack or something like that. I had some other liquor as well. And it was a good old time. Felt pretty, pretty good. And then I woke up Sunday and I had breakfast and I wanted to do laundry. As I got my clothes together, sorting them in the piles, and I started walking upstairs and downstairs, laundry room, back upstairs, all that stuff. Suddenly my body decided to say, dude, we're done using these leg muscles. And my legs literally shut down. Not that I was, you know, couldn't move, handicapped, incapacitated, anything like that. But every step hurt. Every step hurt. I was barely walking. 
Now, I blame this on the four games I played. I blame it on the barbecuing and drinking literally right after. Not much water consumption after playing four games. I blame it on daylight savings time. Because the hour shift kind of threw everything off. I almost missed a call with two of my, my good friends Sunday afternoon because daylight savings time. Fortunately, I had my phone on me and I looked at my microwave, my, my TVs, and they all were an hour off. My phone had the right time, so I made the call on time. But what did I decide to do? Despite knowing that my legs were, were tired and sore and, and, and tight, I decided to do a full workout on Monday as if nothing had happened. Yeah. So by the time Monday was done, rolling into Tuesday, what went from shutdown went to you need to sit down. Now, I literally had to take a soaking hot bath and all this stuff. So I say all that to say, sports makes me feel old sometimes. You know, I talk about all the grays that have started to pop up and I'm, I'm, they're just starting to pop up everywhere. And I learned a very valuable lesson that plucking them makes them angry. And so now I'll just trim them or cut them really low because plucking them makes me angry when they bring friends back to kind of do more damage. It's, it's yeah. The other valuable lesson I learned is I'm not much of a stretcher. I don't really stretch much before games, after games, generally in life. My hamstrings are literally always knots. But I can run fast. And I've been doing this for 30 years, 20 years, I don't know, 25 years. Never pulled a hammy, never pulled a quad. Twisted some ankles here and there. But I'm getting older and recovery from these games. Taking a wee bit longer as we go. Now this weekend coming up, I'm actually going to play three games. I was playing two, but I got asked to step in again for my, my second team. So I'm going to play three games back to back to back. So we'll see how it goes. Next, I want to talk about TV. Now, we've all been in a house since last March, February, March-ish, April-ish, depending on when you actually decided to keep your butt home. And we all have TVs in our houses. Some of us have cable, some don't. I get it. Some people have just been detached. Some people don't have home phones. Some people just literally don't feel like there's a cost benefit that benefits them. Totally get it. I was cut the cable before I started working for the company I worked for. And then I got the perks of working for that company. So now I have cable. But before that, I literally was a cut the cord person. I just had internet. I had a HD antenna connected to my house and ran through all my cable outlets to directly connect the antenna to my TVs. I have a blog post that I could post on my website or on my social media where I actually describe in detail how I went from cable to cutting the cable. The different products I purchased, how I wired them up. I needed some boosters to go from my roof down to the connection for the cable and back to the house. It's all pretty good stuff. I'll, say, I'll post that and check, check it out if you want to. But being, being home so much since Rona hit, you realize and you notice how much unnecessary some of the things are that you have. Cable, for one, is one of those things. Now, I talked about making big financial changes in my life the last couple of months. And I really adopted this, this philosophy of allocating income 100% to something. Some people call it the envelope method. Some people call it something else. 
but I do so in a way that I shift things when they're due to different income scheduled incomes and every penny that I don't allocate I save and so I've been able to rapidly save money over a number of months now I have a certain goal of amount to save by June 1st and I will say that because of this change I'm well ahead of that it's like the Biden you know vaccine thing I'm way ahead of schedule which is good it's good but being home so much you notice how just boring tv can be sometimes i watch my shows i watch certain shows you know my hell's kitchen my kitchen nightmares my you know all types of stuff that i watch but outside of that i don't really watch tv like that i watch movies when i'm sitting in my office and i'm relaxing on the couch i literally just look up movies that's it I don't really watch sitcoms. I try watching Big Brother. I watched that for half a season or so. And next season came and I didn't watch it. It just wasn't my thing. MasterChef is another one that I watch. But also eating out. Eating out is something I don't generally miss. I miss the restaurants that I used to frequent. I'm kind of snooty. I'm kind of bougie. I admit that. It's okay. It's okay to have standards in what you eat and places that you eat and food that you consume and put in your body. So I miss those places because they were generally high class places. The decor, the quality of the food, the quality of the drinks, the drinks that I drink when I'm out, Long Island's, Old Fashions, margaritas, wine, shots of tequila. Those things and the quality of those things matter to me. So I do miss the quality of those places because also the, the patrons who come there, the quality of those patrons, the environment, the ambiance, I miss those things. But I don't necessarily miss going out to eat anymore. I don't really miss happy hours. I miss people watching and I miss going to happy hours with specific people that I've been to happy hour with. I miss the company of those people more so than going out with those people, if that makes sense. But I don't really miss eating out. I don't really miss not watching TV. I'll put on music on my TVs. I'll put on music on all my Echo Dots around the house before I'll just sit there and watch or binge on a show. And people recommend things to me all the time. Watch this, watch this series, check out this series. And there's so many series out there, but I'm just not interested. And it takes being home and really focusing like I have the last couple months on a plan and a goal on my whiteboard, literally to the left of me is the date I want to retire. And I'm so singularly focused on that. And some of that is being singularly focused on all the different things that I'm a part of organizations, committees, groups, boards, all the things that I do. But TV and eating out just kind of falling by the wayside. I meal prep every week, taco Tuesdays, every Tuesday. I don't need to go out anymore. And it's weird for me because I'm always the type of person who's social, love people watching, love meeting people, talking to people, hearing their story, which randomly happens to me every time I travel or go out. People feel the need to talk to me and that's perfectly fine. I get that that's my character, that's my aura. That's my purpose. I get it. But I don't miss it anymore. And that's weird. 
Lastly, I want to talk about the thing that has me so excited and that change so excited that I changed up the beginning and start of how I opened the show. March Madness is back. And I mean back. When I'm recording this, the games are going on. The first round or second round, because they renamed everything when they started doing the playing games, but whatever. It's the first round. The the first four in, that I'm calling it the first four in. The first round is the first Thursday, Friday of the tournament, even though it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday now, whatever. This is my favorite sports time of the year. And last year I was robbed, absolutely robbed, not only of March Madness, but a 20 year anniversary gala for my chapter, my fraternity, travel last June. I was robbed of so many things, litigation that I, I was anticipating, all these different things got robbed of from me in 2020. In 2021, trying to get that normalcy back traveling i'm taking a couple trips in the next couple months march madness is back litigation i'm waiting on to finish is, is rapidly coming to a close and i can't be more excited for it but march madness is my favorite time of the year because you never know what's going to happen now granted one versus 16 you probably will lose your money better than one 16 just statistically two versus 15 you have a slightly less chance of losing your money. And today, if you bet a 15, when I'm recording this, you'd have won some money. But after you go past there, 314, or like, yeah, you, you go past there, 512s, you have an opportunity for so many upsets. And because this year is just crazy, it's not like a typical year where you had a bunch of teams with 20 wins and 18 wins and 17 wins. You got teams making it with 12 wins and 14 wins and 26 wins or 26 games i should say it's so up in the air yes you have your favorites the gonzagas the michigans you have those favorites the baylors but what about those other schools georgetown was on fire coming out or coming into the tournament among other schools but this is my favorite time of the year it's the happiest time of the year I posted earlier today pictures of drumsticks that I, per I went and got a growler full of beer that I went and got. I go off diet the opening weekend of March Madness. I just, I don't care. I'll make it up next week. I'll work twice as hard next week to get back all the fat that I put on this weekend to get it off. This weekend is about March Madness. Now I'm playing three football games this weekend, so I'll kind of combat some of that. But March Madness, my favorite time of the year makes me so happy coming up an amazing interview with an amazing person i cannot wait for you to hear some of the great dialogue some of the great topics we talk about some of the great experiences my guests had and we even talk about chicken <laughs> we'll be right back after this Simple solutions for complex problems. For 15 years, the mantra has been the practice of SRE Solutions, providing business intelligence, application and website design, and PC repair services for clients. SRE Solutions has a simple solution for your problem, regardless of the complexity. Contact SRE Solutions at www.sresolutions.org and get your problem resolved today.
All right, so welcome back. And I wanna talk about arts and music really quickly. So arts and music are critical for our youth. Studies show that when our youth are exposed to art and music in school, it does more than just provide a creative outlet. They provide a mental, emotional, educational, and many more benefits. Following the recession of 2008, which seems like such a long time ago, but it really wasn't, school funding reached a crisis point, seeing huge dramatic drops in the budget allocations for schools. Now, a little fun fact, the federal government doesn't technically provide funds to public schools. The states receive grants from the federal government. For arts education, these grants come in the form of endowments from the arts, endowments from the humanities, but most of the funding comes from the state. When budget cuts are necessities, fine arts classes are often the first on the chopping block. Subjects such as visual arts, music, theater, band, if you've ever been to band camp, that's fun, um, are often cut before other subjects. They also don't have standardized tests generally, so that's kind of the justification they like to put out there. But there's two reasons I'm talking about the arts and the music. The first is looking at violence, and we've talked about this in prior shows, looking at violence in Philly. I think arts is a great way, and bringing back and funding those arts are a great way to kind of curb some of the violence that's going on in Philly. I know when I was growing up, Seems like a long time ago. I'm a product of the 90s. I say it all the time. But we had outlets. We had after school programs. And if you remember way back then, we had after school specials we used to run home and jump in front of the TV for. But they were outlets. They were things that keep us off the streets. Besides, you know, the village kept us off the streets too back then, which doesn't really happen a lot right now. But the second reason I'm talking about that is because of my guest. And I'm going to turn to my guest now. My guest is Charisma McElwain. And I think I got, I think I butchered that name, but we're going to find out in a second. <laughs> You didn't so, butcher it. <laughs> that's good. I didn't butcher it. Good. So first of all, she's Philly based, which all great things come from Philly. I know I put a lot of Philly artists and people and personalities and politicians on, but the best things come out of Philly. She's a multimedia personality, singer, songwriter and writer. Began her television career with CBS3, the CW Network, if you remember the CW Network. And you remember, fun fact, go back and look what the CW was before. This is way, way, way back in the day. I'm changing myself <laughs> right now. But she started there as an on-air host and a community ambassador. She's interviewed some of the biggest actors, directors, producers, magicians, musicians in the world. And we'll talk about those in a second. She's currently a staff writer for the Philadelphia Sunday Sun and hosts and produces 28 Days and Beyond, a show that highlights black history, heritage, and culture. So finally, welcome to Days Head, Charisma. <laughs> How's it going? It's going well. It's Friday. <laughs> Yay. So it's first Friday. of all, before we start, we've been trying to do this for a while. You, I've met my yeah. match when it comes to someone <laughs> with as hectic a schedule as I have. Like, seriously, we we had competing I... schedules. We tried to figure this out, but we finally got it. We finally got <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how I made it out of this past February alive, to be perfectly honest. But I'm here. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm glad I'm you took a second to uh, jump into Dave's head, and I'm looking forward to the things we have to talk about. So. Before we do, and I know I gave a little intro for you, but I like to have my guests give their own intro in their own words. So if you could tell the people who you are, what you do, uh, and what you're about. You're killing me. No, it's just always hard because, like, I'm the one that always does the interviews. So, like, whenever people are like, talk about yourself, I'm like, do I have to? Um, <laughs> I think you got most of, of the points. I'm, um, yeah, I'm a multimedia personality. Um, I've been doing this for years now it's been a while it's been a minute um, got my start with CBS and the CW 
um, and then ventured more into the producer realm in television, but still do the stuff in front of the camera as well. Um, yeah, I'm a third generation musician as well. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to just like do intros and bios and stuff. It's always hard to talk about. It's hard. It, it is. <laughs> well, you, yeah. you hide the grays well. I don't. I don't know how we compare in ages, but I got grays, so I, you hide your grays well. I drink my water and mind my business, Dave. Eh, <laughs> I'm working Thank on it. I am working on it. This is, this is my sad night. I'm working on it. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the Q and A. And to start, talk about your journey to becoming an on-air host, the ladder you climbed, the difficult moments, and the work it took to get there. Okay, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> I initially, I didn't know that I was gonna go into television. Like it wasn't, you know how some people know, they're like, you know, when I grow up, I'm gonna be this. Like, that was not my path. <laughs> I've always wanted to do a million things, and um, it's always been kind of hard to figure out, okay, like which direction am I going? Um, initially, I actually wanted to be a doctor that was going to sing my patients, like sing to my patients, like that was gonna be part of their healing. Like that was, that was my, like as a kid, that's what I wanted to do. And okay. then I had um, a little cousin, uh, it was an incident, we were in the house by ourselves for like five minutes and she ended up getting hurt and I was trying to take care of her and I'm hyperventilating while she's bleeding. So I was like, maybe I should switch career paths. Yeah, <laughs> At that point work. I was like, I don't think doctors for me, let me <laughs> reevaluate. So fast forward, you know, I've always been involved in, in the arts and I always like, you know, talking to people and um, interacting with people. And so when it got time to go to school, I went to Cabrini. It was Cabrini College, now it's Cabrini University. Um, they had a really good communications program. So I, I double majored in uh, communications and English and minored in psychology. And so afterwards, I'm like, okay, these student loans are, are kicking in. Let me try to kind of figure out what I'm doing. So I actually started working at the, um, the Legendary Five Spot in Philly. And I was hosting like a uh, live music show where people came and did live music and all that kind of stuff. So um, I was looking for something, you know, more stable. And I found out about a audition, an audition that um, CBS, CBS and CW was doing through a friend of mine. And it was for one commercial. And I went in and I was like, OK, like, I don't know what's going to happen from here, but, you know, I'll, let me give it a shot. So I went in for the first uh, first audition and they liked me, so they kept calling me back in. And I'm like, all this for a commercial? I was like a little confused <laughs> at first, but I'm like, okay, this is par for the course. So over like a three month period, they kept calling me back in for auditions. And the first audition I did amazing in. The second audition I bombed so badly. Like I just was like not in the zone that day. It was terrible. But they liked me enough to, to keep bringing me back. So for three months, I was essentially pulling my hair out. And um, after three months, I got a call from my former boss. And he's like, we like you to be a part of the on-air team um, as a member of the CW crew. And you'd be an on-air personality and a, a community ambassador. What do you think? And I'm like, can I scream in your ear yet? Because <laughs> like, I was just so excited. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of how I, I got my start with them. And I was with, uh, CW and CBS for six years. Um, and I actually came on board with them right after the transition of CBS buying the WB 
and becoming the CW. Like right at that transition is when I came in and came on board. So it was it was awesome. That's how I really got my platform. I learned a lot from that experience. That's how I got my start. Gotcha. And that was, that was a fun fact question I put to my audience. How, where did, you know, where did that come from? The, the whole uh, <laughs> So I you, ruined, you it. ruined it. It's okay. <laughs> I ruined it. Sorry. <laughs> so take a step back for a second. So what kind of doctor were you thinking about being? I'm imagining a pediatrician because you're going to sing to your patients. You know, I, I have always loved children. I don't even think I got that far. I just <laughs> probably, a, probably a pediatrician. Like that was one of the things I was thinking about. Um, but yeah, I didn't take into the into the fact that I have a weak stomach as it pertains to that kind of stuff. So it didn't quite work out. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Yes. But the, the one guy, when the guy gets like a coral stuck in his leg and the blood comes out, <laughs> and he just instantly passes out. I've I have a wealth gotten, of movies in my head. It's just yeah, me too. I, I've since gotten better. Like I'm, I'm better under pressure now. Like if an emergency happens, I'm usually the person keeping everybody else calm. But I still have no desire to be a doctor. It's just too much. Gotcha. Yes, yes, <laughs> save much. the world, it's, but just do it from a distance. Yeah, they save the world. It's an amazing profession, and I have all the respect in the world for them. But it's just not for me. Not for you. It's just not gotcha. for me. All right. So talk about as a black woman. How would you characterize your opportunities versus your counterparts? Well, that's definitely been a journey. Um, like I've had a lot of experiences that I feel like I would not have had as a woman that was not a black woman. Um, I've had producers. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll never forget this. I had a producer one time. I had a shoot and it was in the middle of the summer and it was like 100 degrees outside. And, you know, Philly, 100 degrees is different than 100 degrees in some other places because it's humid. So it's 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 hot, but then it's like oppressive because you can't breathe. That and so, yeah, so we had a, we had a shoot and um, we had just done some stuff like, you know, outside and it's a hundred degrees. I'm like, I'm not straightening my hair for this shoot. Like there's just no way, like y'all going to get these curls today. And I had a producer come and like, start like trying to flatten. Don't touch my hair. Don't touch my hair. <laughs> right. So, you know, like experiences like that, I've had other, you know, producers or cameramen say little stuff about, um, Oh, I guess we have to change the lighting, like stuff like that. I've had a lot of those like weird little, um, mm -hmm. not little because they're not thinking back. I, you know, initially I'm like, oh, these are just microaggressions, but they're not because they all add to, you know, your experience of just trying to come into a place and do the job that you were hired to do. You know, all those things are happening in the back of your mind while you're still trying to do your job. Um, additionally, I feel like I've had to work really hard to prove myself after working really hard to prove myself. So I've, I've seen and had experiences where um, white women in particular came in scenarios where I had been at a place much longer. Um, I had a much bigger uh, resume uh, experience and they were given opportunities that I was told I wasn't qualified for. So essentially people that came in after me were given opportunities that I was not. 
and that was directly tied to me being a black woman, um, especially when I first started, because it's not like it is now where we're having more of those conversations and dialogues about um, representation mattering and diversity and inclusion. Nobody was having those conversations back then. So it was just kind of like you deal with situations like this and there weren't a lot of outlets to talk about it to other than your personal circle of people. And so what that did um, was it actually helped me develop some of the friendships that I have that I'm the closest to now, especially like in television, because a lot of black women that were in television or in media were having similar experiences. So it's almost like we kept each other sane <laughs> in the midst of, of everything that we were going through. Uh, that being said, I am grateful for the strides that I have been able to make. And there have been a lot of people over the years, black and white, that have um, been really helpful. Um, Yuki was one of the first people when I got to CBS that reached out to me and was like really helpful and just, you know, whatever I could do if you ever need to talk. Um, Natasha uh, was another person, Natasha Brown. Um, and it was, it was a few people that did that, so. I won't say it was like all bad experiences, but definitely a collection of some things that I definitely think should not have happened and things that should not have been said that I experienced that um, I'm hoping we're getting to a point now where the climate is changing a bit. Like I, um, I did an interview the other day with a woman named Jenny Lumet and she is the granddaughter of Lena Horne. And she's the uh, co-creator and executive producer of Star Trek Discovery and Clarice for CBS and The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is on Showtime now. Um, but she shared an experience with me that happened um, to her recently. And um, she said they were doing some casting and uh, she noticed that all of the casting that was happening for one of the shows was like all really fair black people, like all light-skinned black people. And because she's in the position that she's in, she was able to say, if there's not a specific reason that we're making this choice, we need to stop. We need to diversify a little bit. Right. So even now, like looking at that and having that dialogue with her and understanding that now we're seeing more black women specifically be being put in positions where they are able to change the narrative of what's been the standard and the norm for so long that should not have been the standard and the norm for so long. So I'm just, you know, I'm grateful we're making strides. Yeah, and I, I feel like this is this is almost disrespectful for me to even say this, but just for the people who may not know, Yuki is Yuki Washington. Yes. Um, I, I feel like he's he's like AI, like, you know. Man, <laughs> like everybody knows be, Yuki. Yeah, it should be one name, but just, just for the people who may yes. be listening to me, I know Yuki is Yuki Washington, who I actually yes. met in media um, years ago. Nice. He's such a good dude. Yeah, like, he's a really, really nice good guy. Dude. He's, he's like the... Um, I can't remember his name right now. Gray hair from Channel Six. He's been on forever, ever, ever. But uh, Jim Jim Gardner. That's what I'm thinking of. Jim Gardner. Uh, yes. Yeah, he's been around forever. It's like you just say Jim. Like there's no other <laughs> Jim in Philly. Like Yuki, Yuki. So I do want to follow up on one thing uh, really sure. quickly. Have you in your career had a situation where a show was produced and you saw the final product, but you weren't necessarily happy with the way it was either shot or portrayed? that you pushed back and said, I can't let this happen? Um, 
I'm trying to think. Or the opposite where you wanted to, but maybe you didn't. Well, <laughs> days. <laughs> <laughs> in a nice one way. Thing, in a nice one way. thing about me, I always try to be diplomatic. Um, but it's hard for me to see things being done that I feel like are inherently wrong and I don't say anything about it. So, yes, there have been times that I've, I push back. Um, I can't think of a specific example in television per se, but even, because I've done acting and stuff as well, there have been some situations there that I've definitely pushed back. Yeah, I've definitely pushed back. There have been- Not today, um, not me, mm-mm. <laughs> Um, and, and there have also been situations that I've, I've had to, to walk away from for, for those same reasons, because I, I've always felt that every decision that I make in my life, both on a professional level and also on a personal level, like I've always wanted to make decisions that I felt like I could look back on and be proud of. So I've worked really hard to only associate myself with certain projects, certain things, so that when people think of me or think of my name, there's um, there's integrity attached to it. So, you know, if I feel like something is happening that shouldn't be happening, then yeah. And it could even just be something as little as, um, which is not really little, but something just as, um, something like lighting. Like that's a big thing that happens <laughs> like when it comes to, to black and brown people. Like yeah. not everybody knows how to light us. Like that's yeah. a very real thing. So there have been times where I've had to say like, hey, um, I don't feel like I'm being lit properly or that's not the right color foundation for me. Like so. Or don't touch my hair. Like. Or don't touch my hair. Yes. Like all yeah. of those things. There have been times where I've absolutely had to be like, you know what? This is uncomfortable, but it needs to be said. So, but I always try to say things with love and in a way that's respectful. So I think that's you, but nicely. Yes. Yes. So before <laughs> you get more, the next question. What did they say? You get more flies with honey than the other vinegar. stuff? <laughs> yeah. Or than a fly swatter. But yeah. Yes. But before I go to my next question, I gotta I gotta say I feel honored because you only associate with things that have integrity and that you know your name's attached to have good values. So the fact that you're interviewing with me when you've interviewed so many people way above me, like way above. Oh, me. there's no such thing as way above. We're all figuring it out. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> but I still I still thank you for for joining Dave. My pleasure. My pleasure. So speaking of interviews, you've interviewed some amazing artists. So talk about an interview that stands out, that is one of your favorites, maybe has a story or a moment around it that's unforgettable, but maybe is not known to many people. Maybe a story you haven't told before. Hmm, what's the story I haven't told before? Um, well, I'll give you like just a cool, like fun fact. And then I'll give you like a moment that was kind of embarrassing, but I was just like, whatever. Yes, embarrassment <laughs> so is <laughs> So the embarrassing moment, um, I found out at the last minute that Tyler Perry was going to be uh, doing a red carpet premiere for, I think it was um, the Halloween Medea movie, like a Medea Halloween. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Tyler Perry is this huge 
you know, Matthew's and... success. Yes, <laughs> yeah. and also just like, um, like he's so tall, <laughs> and I like had on my big heels, and I'm like looking up. Um, but we were doing like the the red carpet um, kind of interview, and the thing about red carpet interviews is they go really, really fast. Like they're just like boom, 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 boom. You don't get a lot of time. You have folks like publicists pretty much like wrangling them along. So everything is moving pretty quickly. So when he came up to do the interview with me, I had a camera person over this side of me that was like doing the interview over my shoulder. But then I was also like doing the interview for print for the sun. And so I'm like trying to get my recording device ready so that I could record it like while we're doing the visual interview and I dropped my phone in the in the middle of the, <laughs> like dropped it like on his foot like in the middle of the interview and I was just like ah, one second yeah. but then you know kept going and it was fine he was he was very nice very gracious um so yeah that was that was embarrassing but not and a he's Tyler deal. Perry, so he's probably seen so much. Yeah, it was just like, I'm like, and I have moments where I'm clumsy, but I was just like, really, Riz, like, right now? Okay, cool. <laughs> um, but another, I've had a lot of just fun interviews. Like, I feel like whenever I interview with people, I always like to just have fun and make people smile and laugh. I'm always giggling and stuff. So um, I've had quite a few that were just like a lot of fun, like Kevin Hart and uh, Regina Hall. Um, when they did the interview for about last night, they had me in stitches the whole entire interview. Like they just were cracking jokes and like ripping on each other like a brother and sister would. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and then I interviewed Amari Hartwick. The first time I interviewed him was for um, the first season of Power. And I interviewed him alongside of uh, Layla Loren. And they both were just really nice, um, really open. Um, and then I interviewed him again, like I think it was two or three years later. And the surprising thing was he actually remembered me. And I was just like, like you've had a million interviews since we met like all these years ago, but he remembered me. He was like, you sing, right? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, and your brother does art. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, just, I was just taken back. Like, how did you remember? Um, so yeah, that was just kind of cool. Yeah, he's always, cool. he's always seemed um, humble to me. Very he's humble, a really very nice thankful. person. He is. Yeah. I haven't, knock on wood, I have not had a, um, I have not had a bad experience with an interview. And I've been doing this for a really long time. I haven't had, like, I haven't had anyone. Okay, well, that's not true. I had one. But um, good, because I'm about to ask you a question about something. So, yeah, I yeah, I had one. And it wasn't necessarily like awful. It was just sometimes, you know, people's energies don't necessarily gel and, you know, whatever. Um, like how quickly can we end this interview? Yeah. Or, you know, I've I've had one of those and I've had one where it was just um, the person just wasn't very talkative. So it was kind of hard to to pull. Um, to, to keep the, the the dialogue going, you know? Um, now, I will say, in two years, this is my second season, Dave had, I understand that completely. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was rough. Because I'm like, I feel like I'm pretty good at, like, pulling information out of people. But this particular interview, it's just, like, the person, I was getting kind of um, just really quick, like, yes or no responses, mm -hmm. no, like... It was just like, no I out of questions. Like, yeah. So like, I was like, okay, <laughs> but yeah. I got enough where I still was able to like work around it. But yeah, I haven't had any bad experiences. So I'm, I'm 
fortunate in that respect. So the, the, my follow-up question or my next question for this was going to be, what was your most difficult on-air experience? And I'm hoping it's that one that you thought of or maybe a different it one. But wasn't. It wasn't. It um, wasn't. So this kind of is tying in because you said, is there like a fun fact that a lot of people don't know? So this is a fun fact a lot of people don't know. Um, I actually produced the live um, the live streaming of the Whitney Houston funeral for BET. It was myself and one other producer for BET. And um, it was my first live, like it was my first live producing job ever. Wow. And what a start. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, I I adore Whitney Houston. Like, she's one of the people that influenced me the most, made me want to sing. So when I found out that she passed, I was actually supporting a friend of mine at a play. And I got the news, and I as soon as he was done, I was in my car trying to drive home, and it was snowing. And I'm like, do I need to pull over? Because I was just so upset. Like, I'm bawling my eyes out. So my first thought when I was asked to do it was like, yes, absolutely. Like any way that I can pay homage to this woman that I love so much is, you know, like I, I would love to. The flip side of that was like, how in the world am I gonna get through this? And so it was, it was just a really, really difficult day. Um, not only because I love her so much and I was still, you know, grieving as a fan of her and her work, but also because there was like this constant stream of information that was coming in my inner ear monitor. And I'm trying to like keep up with all the information that is literally changing every two minutes and then feed that information to the on-air talent, um, a woman named April Wooder, um, to go live. And it was only... I think two or three outlets that were allowed to go live for this particular um, broadcast. It was BET, the Associated Press, and I think maybe one other outlet. And everyone was there, um, like on bleachers. And it was like, I think I got there at four in the morning or something like that. So it was just like a really early day. I got no sleep. I was exhausted. I was crying behind sunglasses, but still trying to get it, get it all done. Um, so yeah, that was an experience. It was really difficult, but, um, yeah, I got it done. So yeah, if I remember correctly, wasn't that the, the funeral where Usher sung? Did Usher Or was that sing? MJ? That might've been MJ. I don't think Usher sung, um, I think that was Alicia, I think Alicia Keys sung. And at one point, cause one of the things that was like back and forth for so long is whether or not Bobby was arriving. And then there was an issue with Bobby being there and like who he was with. So then he ended up leaving. So it was like all of this drama surrounding like who was allowed to sit where and all of this is being fed to me. And I'm just like, what is going on? And then uh, there was another prompt about Aretha Franklin coming and whether she was gonna be there cause she was like Whitney Houston's godmother. It was just, mm -hmm. it was a lot. A full day. It was a full day. It really was. And by the time I got home, I just, I crashed really hard. <laughs> I bet. I crashed I bet. really hard. So as a, a fellow content producer, talk about the difficulties with staying fresh and relevant and marketable to your audience. And how often do you reevaluate yourself and the things that you produce? 
How often do I reevaluate my, myself daily? <laughs> Probably the reason I don't sleep <laughs> daily, every day. I'm like, uh, what am I doing? Um, you know, it's, I think the challenge in being a content producer is that so many things are, are changing and evolving, like at rapid speed. So there's really no way to stay on top of every single thing that's happening as it's evolving. Um, I think the thing that's been helpful for me is just knowing my brand and how I approach things and just trying to stay true to that. So, you know, as a content producer, I just want to be a good storyteller. Like, that's it. I just, I want to produce things that um, tell a good story, that tell an accurate story, that tell an honest story, and that um, allow for human connection to happen. Um, I think because a lot of times I interview celebrities, there's this like idea for some that they're like, they're people, but not really. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I like to get to the heart of like who they are as people. So as long as I'm doing that and allowing people to tell their stories in hopes that those stories will also like impact or inspire somebody else to like follow their own path and their own journey, I feel like I'm doing okay. There's different ways to do that. I'm still learning a lot of like the technical aspects of all of that because I am not a technical <laughs> like person, but I've kind of been thrown into that a little bit more, especially recently. Um, so I'm still learning, I think. Um, but I do think about that daily and just try to make sure that I'm doing the very best I can to be the best uh, storyteller that I can be. Gotcha. And we've had, won't be in the final episode, of course, but we've had some technical glitches on both our parts before, you know, even, yeah, <laughs> we've had some difficulties, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, listen, I've, um, so when I'm into uh, YouTube and also simulcasting for podcast players, I had to learn video editing really fast. And I'm really, I'm, I'm a sort of a nerd. I'm, I'm a nerd, but we all it's, are. we really are. It's just, <laughs> I don't wear the glasses and the pocket protector, but yeah. listen, we're, I've said this, I will continue to say this. We are all nerds about different things. We're just mm -hmm. like, it, you just have to decide like what you're a nerd about, but we all nerd out about something. Exactly. That's a fact. So yeah, we all as content producers and you're more on the informational and facts and, and conversation where I'm more so on the personable and getting information out and just feeling like, and, and the point of my shows and with my guests is to feel like we're just having a conversation. And mm -hmm. so, I've had people very comfortable speaking and people who are completely like, I can't do this, like in the middle of the interview. <laughs> but, and I, and I always reassure them, we're just having a conversation. Act like there's mm -hmm. no camera, act like there's no microphone. We're just having a conversation. And it's it's all about relating to the audience, relating to the people. And so the thing about reevaluating stuff, and I'm a perfectionist, so I get the no sleep thing. Yeah. So it's it's a challenge to not over perfect, right? We, we try to be perfect. We can deny it, but we try to be perfect. Yeah, a, f a, a friend of mine recently reminded me about what another friend said, and they were like, they were specifically talking about music, um, but they said like, musicians will fix a song until it's broken. Mm. It's true. Cause you just keep hearing things and you keep going back and you keep doing like, 
at the end of the day, perfection is an illusion. You still strive for it to be the very best version of it it can be, but like sometimes that can cause you to overthink and doubt and like not put things out that you should because you're trying to make it perfect. So I've really been trying personally to get out of the habit of doing that quite as much. It's a process though. <laughs> yeah, my process has been going like 25 years. I'm still working on it. I'm still Yeah, it's a process but though. I had a guest on a couple episodes ago, Dennis Atkinson Jr., and he talked about overproducing a song mm -hmm. and how you can go from something that sounds really great to just what the heck were you doing? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so perfectionism can be something that's really detrimental to the final product. Absolutely. So let's shift a little bit. You also write. Where does your motivation come from and what inspires you to say get lost in a weekend or a day of writing? Life. Like I, um, it's interesting cause I've always written things like that's, that's how I learn. Like even as a kid, it used to annoy me so much because my brother and I were so close and he's one of those people where he could look at something for two seconds and just, it's in his brain, right? We'd be in the car with our parents and, oh, I forgot I have a test. Be quiet, I need to study <laughs> for five minutes. And then he'd get an A and I was just like, what is life? What is your brain? Um, and for me, I always had to like write things down in order for them to like go into my brain. So like if I write it, then it's, then it's there. So that's how I learned. And then also that was just a way that I always expressed myself. Like I always had journals as a kid. I have like a million notebooks all over, like in my car, like next to my bed. They're literally all over my house. Um, so I think I've always just found inspiration in, in life and living. And when I first decided to start kind of like sharing more of those ideas, I was really just trying to tell stories that I could relate to in hopes that other people would be able to relate to them too. Um, the first project I ever shared as far as like a written project was a story called From the Concrete. I, I did a, um, film competition with the Philadelphia Film Office. I think this was in, don't quote me on this, but I think it was in 2015, 2016, something around there. Don't be cute. Um, <laughs> so I found out about this competition and I was on the fence about it for so long. It was about like beauty and it was tied in with the Philadelphia flower show. So I had to come up with a concept that tied in like flowers and beauty. And I came up with this uh, concept, you know, from the concrete, like, you know, beautiful things can grow from places that don't necessarily look like they would bring forth life. Right. So I started it with um, going through my old neighborhood in North Philadelphia and it's like dilapidated buildings. And then you see a person walking cause it was a short, um, you see a person walking their shoes and then they plant a seed in the middle of a crack of, of concrete. And then I did like a, what is it called? I'm blanking on the actual term. Um, basically I did a time-lapse. That's the word. I did a time-lapse of this flower growing in, in different stages. And that was the concept of it. Um, so I came up with this concept and I was like terrified of sharing it. And then around the same time I interviewed Ava DuVernay for Selma. 
and I just happened to like mention, I was thinking about doing this film competition. She's like, do it. And I was just like, okay, well, if Ava DuVernay told me to do it, I guess I have to do it. <laughs> and that's the first project I ever shared. And since then I've written, um, I've written, I want to say like three or four screenplays, two that are full featured, one or two that are shorts, and I'm working on a, um, a web series now. Uh, but all of those things that I've written have either been uh, things that have happened to me personally or sharing stories from the perspective of friends or, you know, other people in the world. So I just find inspiration in, like, the human condition, I think. Gotcha. So I'm actually thinking about writing a book. I, well, I am going to write a book at some Do point. It. I, it's just I, I've experienced so much in my life that it just I need to share that journey. I like yeah. my, one of my favorite games on Price is Right is the mountain climber one where you, you, you know, you try so to So you like to yodel? I, no, I wouldn't <laughs> call it yodeling. I can sing a little bit. You go back a couple episodes, I do sing a little bit. All but, right. Um, my, one of my favorite games because he yodels and goes up the hill and falls over. Because like 90% of the time they just, he falls over. But, um, you know, just talking about the journey. I think I've had an interesting journey, been through a lot of pain, a lot of different things in my life. And I think it's an interesting short story to share motivationally for people. Mm -hmm. So eventually I'm going to write a book. I don't know when, but eventually I'm going to write a book. I need to start it and then I can finish. That's the hardest part, just starting it. Mm -hmm. And I, like some people be like, oh, write every day, write little something every day. And I'm like, that's, not for either. me at least, that is not realistic at all. Mm -hmm. I don't feel inspired to write every day. I feel inspired to write when I feel inspired to write. And so sometimes I can write like there have been times where I wrote like 50 pages to my screenplay in one setting. And then there have been like weeks where I was like, I don't have a thought in my head that is going to add value <laughs> to where this story is going. Um, so I think just finding your own rhythm and, and finding your own way of like zoning in or honing into um, whatever it is that you're trying to create. Like, I think everybody has to find their own creative process. And so for me, I just, I try to jot down ideas when I get them. Voice memes are also really helpful for me because I sometimes get ideas like in the car where I can't physically write them down, but if I can like talk them, you know, into my phone, I can go back and revisit them later. But yeah, I find inspiration just every day and like people's stories and just humans existing. Like being a human on this floating planet in a galaxy is like really interesting, not to be super existential, but it's just, it's a journey. No, it absolutely is. But let's let's jump back for a second because I'm curious. Is there a competition between your brother and you? Are you really competitive, or are you? No, just, no, not, not at, at all. all. Not yeah. at all. Like I'm his biggest fan. He's my biggest fan. There's literally like no. There's like there's no competition. There's just. It's weird because I I grew up not weird, but I grew up in a family where everyone is artistically inclined. Mm -hmm. So. I've been really fortunate to have people that get how weird artists can be. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so there's just been like this incredible support system from him, from my parents, my grandparents. Um, so yeah, there's never been a, an element of competition between us. It's always just been like, how can I help facilitate you living your dream? So when he would have art shows or, um, you know, he's out doing murals. He, he paints all over the world. 
And a lot of times I'll go to either film him or just like hand him paint cans or whatever. Like we do a lot of traveling together where I help him. And then if I have a show, like he's backstage or in front of the stage taking pictures or recording for me. So it's, yeah, it's no competition. It's literally just like how we can support each other the best in what we're doing. Gotcha. So no he's Monopoly Nights. Huh? I said no Monopoly nights, no Uno nights. Oh, now if we're talking about games, that's something oh, totally okay. different. If we're playing Uno, like we're enemies for that time because mm. I will talk trash the entire time. Okay. We actually had a family game night not too, too long ago. And um, no one was familiar with Uno Flip besides me. So I had to like teach everybody and then I had to mm. whoop everybody. And then that's it was awesome. just like a cycle. But yeah, for game night, that's something totally different. Then I'm super competitive and I'm going to talk trash and try to win. But gotcha. in life, he's my biggest fan. I'm his biggest fan. Gotcha. I'm drilling a little bit deeper because this is important. Stacks hmm. or no stacks? When Uno. See, we, so with Uno Flip, we don't do stacks, but we did stacksies. I, I don't, and it's funny because there was a thing on, I think it was Twitter, uh, <laughs> Where Uno, Uno did it, right? Yeah, I saw that. They like they yeah. tweeted something about Staxies is not a mm. thing, and everybody was like, "Look, y'all don't tell us how we yeah. play Uno. We know mm. you created the game, or you're behind it. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Staxies is a thing. Kill that noise. So just yeah, manufacture stacks. the cards and get out of the way. We yes, just here. get out the yeah. way. Like if I have four draw twos, then now you have to draw eight. That's just mm -hmm. that's those that's are the breaks. I don't care what color they are. Pick up they... the cards and enjoy your rainbow. That's, <laughs> that's just. <laughs> okay. Tough break. Don't play Uno with Charisma. Gotcha. <laughs> so um, talk about writing for the, the Philadelphia Sun. Um, how did you get started there? And talk about some of your favorite content that you've written. Um, how did I get started? I... I feel like most of my life, most of the ways that I've fallen into career paths or like doing things has always been like a friend telling me, oh, by the way, this is going on. Are you interested? Um, I have a lot of good friends, so that's cool. So yeah, a friend of mine told me, um, she was like, oh, are you interested in possibly doing some like freelance writing? And I'm like, sure. So um, I, I ended up meeting with the editor they asked me for some writing samples. I did not have any writing samples. So I like <laughs> pretended, like not pretended, but like did um, my version of whatever a topic was. It's been a minute, so I don't remember what it was, but essentially like I just wrote from my perspective on a couple different things that were happening. So those were like my writing samples because I didn't have any that were published at the time just so they could see like what my writing style was like because I, I don't like being unprepared so i'm like okay i don't have any writing samples that were published but i can show you like you know what my writing style is like to see if it's on par with um the voice of the paper so that's how that started um and then since then it's it's been really cool because i've done a lot of like partnerships with um some different film studios and things like that and that's always like my favorite thing to do. Like I'm such a movie buff. I love movies so much. So when I'm able to do like film reviews or like interview folks for films, um, like last year, which is weird to say, cause it still feels like it's 2020, whatever. Um, let's not do that again. <sighs> um, but I did an interview for, uh, my Rainey's black bottom. And that was one of the first 
interviews that I did with Netflix, I want to say. One of the first. I've done a few now. Um, but I just love doing film reviews and like talking to the people that are either producing it or in it and just hearing about like what their journey or process is to becoming those characters or creating those characters. Like that's my favorite kind of content. When I get to do that, I'm like, yay! Yeah, one of my favorite movies or characters are when they have to like transform their their body, their mental, like Heath Ledger, you know, you know, rest his soul, but yeah, Heath Ledger and how he had to transform amazing. for the Joker role. You know, that mm -hmm. was just, and compared that to Brokeback Mountain, which, I mean, they're in opposite in the range roles, but. Range. Yeah. yeah. It's still one of my favorite characters of all time. And it's, it's weird for me too, because like, you know, sometimes you'll have like a full circle moment and you won't even realize like, oh, this was like a whole thing. Like this was like a whole, oh, I'm back. Mm -hmm. um, as a kid, I've always loved movies. Like we always did movie night as a family. We had this huge, um, actually my parents still have it. We had this huge, like, um, almost like a, I don't even know what to call it, like an armoire maybe, like, and it was just filled with VHS tapes. I was hoping you weren't gonna say VHS tapes. No, like it was filled <laughs> with all the VHS tapes. And we used to do these trips to South Carolina and Florida where we'd drive from Philly to South Carolina and then South Carolina to Florida because my grandparents had a house in South Carolina and a timeshare in Florida. Um, we used to do that every year and it was in the middle of nowhere, the house in South Carolina. So all we had were these uh, few VHS tapes that they kept like in the cabinet. And so like it was Disney everything. I can still quote The Little Mermaid from beginning to end like now, like today. Um, and yeah, we, we always like, we, we always had family time that was centered around movies and we would uh, play hooky from school and work on Fridays whenever a Marvel movie would come out. So it was like this love for movies that I always had, I was able to come back to it, you know, writing these reviews and doing these interviews with the folks that are involved in the film industry. So it was just kind of cool to be like, oh, I've always loved this and now I get to do it like for work. So that's fun. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm going to show you how 90s I am. One of my favorite movies of all time, like literally top five, is The Never Ending Story. It's that movie's great. A, yes. a Caillou. <sighs> I love that Not movie, boring. but I can't watch it all the time because, like, that scene with the darkness and the horse, like, that still mm -hmm. shatters my soul. <laughs> like, all of these years later, I still, mm -hmm. I can't that scene like if i'm watching it to this day like i'll like fast forward through it because i just can't mm. it broke that's my like heart. transformers the movie for me like the original transformers the movie when optimus prime dies and his body turns gray just like nope. why did they do that why i literally cried my dad's arms yeah you can't kill optimus you prime can't anymore. you can't kill optimus prime that's just not okay so yeah, yeah. what about weird science <laughs> oh of course i mean yeah. so okay here's the thing so you're a philly native so do you remember star stuff I don't think I do. Oh, why does nobody remember this show? It was a show, it was, well, so it was only on for like two seasons. And it was the late 80s, I think, mid late 80s. But it was, it was just weird Saturday morning show with this guy who was supposedly talking to someone in outer space. And that was the whole premise of the show. And it only lasted like two seasons. But I swear I'm the only person that remembers this. So I feel like next, if I saw it, I might remember it, though. Because yeah, I was a big... get a chance, Google, Star yeah. Stuff. Cause I was a big Saturday morning cartoon person, like a huge Saturday morning cartoon person. Like that was, that was the jam. Like you get up, 
you watch cartoons. I want to say it came on right before Reading Rainbow and what's the other guy? And I should remember it because I loved Reading Rainbow. I was such a nerd. Like, I loved Reading Rainbow, like, and loved mm -hmm. reading. Like, I could get lost in a book and they're like, oh, where is she? She's somewhere reading. <laughs> but literally, I've had this conversation and nobody from Philly remembers this darn show. Right, I, ha I have person. to look it up then because I don't, I don't want to be, like, not in the know. Yes, yes. I think I got the MIB rig. Everybody got it except me. I don't know. <laughs> So talk about 28 Days and Beyond. What's the, the meaning of the show and what's your goal of the show? Okay, so um, every February for Black History Month, uh, the show 28 Days and Beyond, we do interviews for each day of Black History Month. So 28 or the beyond is on the leap year. Uh, so we do an interview for each day of the month. And the show, the goal of it is to honor black history, heritage, and culture. So all of our guests are black folks. Um, and, you know, black folks from all different walks of life, you know, teachers, musicians, artists, um, film folks, radio folks, like anybody that's doing anything um, in our community, just, you know, sharing their experience and telling their story. That's essentially what it is. Um, this was my, gosh, I think this was my fourth or fifth season with the show. They did two seasons before I came on board. But um, yeah, it's been a, a wild ride just, you know, hosting, co-hosting and, and co-producing the show has been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been um, interesting seeing the show grow uh, this past year, we had to do everything virtually, which was a journey in and of itself, but we got it done. And so what do you what do you want to be taken from that show? You know, 28, you know, we, we all know Black History Month is the shortest month of the year. Yeah. The beyond <laughs> part. How do you want this to impact people beyond? The well, I would I would love for it to grow outside of just Black History Month for one. Um, but also. Um, I think that one of the other things that I would really love to come from, from the show is just that we're not a monolith, you know, like black people are not just one thing. And so I think by giving folks the opportunity to see us in all of these different realms will hopefully open people's eyes to that fact. Um, and also just giving voices to people that don't always get the voices. Like people always wanna interview celebrities, you know? People always wanna interview people that are popping or popular or whatever. But, you know, just having conversations with teachers or uh, folks that are in the neighborhoods trying to figure out ways to help, um, help the kids that are in there make it through school or, you know, mentors, like people that don't always have the opportunity to tell their story. I think, you know, just giving them that platform is something that I'm proud of. And I hope, you know, we can continue to do that with the show. Can I suggest my frat brother, Victor Glover, the astronaut? Sure. That We've never had an astronaut on the show. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we had a neuroscientist, but no astronauts. Gotcha. So I might have a little in. I could, I could hook you up for the interview. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. We celebrated our Founders Day back in January. We had a live broadcast with him in space at the space station. So it was it That's was really pretty cool. incredible. Yeah, I would yeah. love to. Yeah, that'd be so great. We'll chat. Thank you. We'll chat about that. Yay! <laughs> Happy Friday. <laughs> Happy but, um, Friday!
So how has music shaped your life? And what is your proudest moment with music? How has music shaped my life? Well, music came before everything else. Music literally came before everything else. I, that, that was my first love. That is my first love, not was, because it still is. Um, so I grew up in a family where I am a third generation musician on both sides. So my mom's father, my pop-up, um, he was a tenor saxophone player. He played with everybody from Sammy Davis Jr. and Frank Sinatra to Count Basie to, um, I believe he played at Lyndon B. Johnson's inauguration. Like he, he's played with everybody. Um, he was friends with Della Reese, played with her. Um, my mom's brother, my uncle Lloyd, was the lead guitar player for the Barquets. I don't know if you remember the Barquets, the 70s band. Um, my other uncle played with uh, the Jackson 5 and Billy Preston and Sister Sledge. And then on my dad's side, my dad's dad was a gospel singer, one of the founders of the Southern Wonders. And my dad is this incredible singer. He was with the Royal Five um, and a few other groups in Philly. So I grew up and there was always music. Like there was literally always music either in the house on a Friday, my parents would push back all the furniture and put the record player on and we would just dance and eat pizza. <laughs> um, but there was always music in the house too because my dad was always singing, I was always singing. I have pictures with me and my grandfather at the piano where I was still in diapers and he's playing and I'm singing. I have pictures with me in a rattle, uh, mm -hmm. singing into the rattle in the yard. Um, and then my pop-up, he had a band called the Lee Smith Highlarks. And um, on any given day, there were like all these famous people coming through the house. And as a kid, like I didn't even realize like who these people were until I got older. I'm like, oh, oh, hmm. Mm -hmm. Like all the sounds of, of Philadelphia folks used to come through. Like a lot of those guys were in my, my pop-up's band, like uh, Norman Harris, Ronnie Baker, um, Big Frank, Frank Austin. Um, there's a picture with Evelyn Champagne King and my brother like holding him as a baby. Um, and another fun fact, Rick James was my adopted uncle. So it was like all these nice. people were just around all the time. So immediately the skit, the Dave Chappelle skit popped into my head. But of course. Yeah. I yeah, actually have a funny that. story about that skit. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. Tell it. Huh? I said, go ahead and tell it. Okay, so... <laughs> I actually didn't know he wasn't like a blood uncle until I got old enough to figure out like, oh, okay. But it didn't matter because we were really close. Like my parents would call him to like fuss at me when I was acting up in school and stuff. Like, listen to your parents, you know? Mm -hmm. So whenever he, whenever he would come to the East Coast, we used to always go to his shows. So this one particular show he was in, he was coming to Maryland and it was right after all the Chappelle stuff was going on. Like literally right, like right after that was all anybody was talking about. So we get to Maryland and we're late and he had new security backstage. And so we're trying to get backstage and his security like didn't know who we were. So he was giving us a really hard time telling us we couldn't be back there. So I guess he heard the commotion because it was like really close to stage. Like the stage is right here and like mm -hmm. the security is like right there. So he heard the commotion. He knew we were coming. He comes off stage in the middle of a performance. Cuts his security guy out. 
and then was like, y'all coming? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we go on stage, watch him perform. But the crazier part about that, it was like nobody was allowed to curse or do anything wild around my brother and I. So that was like the first time I really like heard him go in on somebody. So that was just like, whoa. Um, so we watched the performance. He, of course, is, you know, just a powerhouse on stage. And after I'm hungry because I'm always hungry. Like, I always want food. So the only thing that was open <laughs> at the time was, like, a hood spot that was, I think it was a Chinese, yeah, it was a Chinese store, a Chinese food right. store in the hood. And so we're rolling through Maryland at, like, 1 in the morning in this white stretch limo. And it's my Uncle Rick, my brother and I, his bodyguard, Pat, who knew us very well. Um and Pat gets out to get the food. <laughs> My brother and I look at each other and we immediately knew what the other person was thinking, like immediately. So we were like, okay, Uncle Rick. Yeah. Are these stories that we keep hearing on the Chappelle show, like is all this stuff true? Like did this stuff really happen? Or is this like hyperbole? Like what's going on here? And he's like, <laughs> he was like, yeah, they were true. Except they ain't beat my legs. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. So we have confirmation, breaking news confirmation on this. He said, like. except they didn't. I just, I, I laughed so hard. And then he followed it up with, you ever just had a friend and every time you see him, you just want to punch him in the face? Well, that was Charlie. Like, just mm -hmm. very matter of fact, like that, that, that was the dynamic. So that was just one of the funniest things that I, <laughs> that was one of the funniest moments of, of spending time with him. Mm -mm. It was hilarious. Charlie Murphy. Yeah. And I actually met, I met Charlie at his, um, his going home service. Really, really nice guy. Mm. Really nice guy. Wow. So yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's always been music. It's so always we'll, been music. We'll come back to the music in a second. Talk about this food obsession. So, you're a producer, you're How doing much all these time things. Do you have? <laughs> I don't know. My episodes are usually like an hour and a half. Okay, I was gonna say, hours. how much time do you have for me to talk about food? But you know, with all the things you do, and, and I started this by saying I don't, I don't think I've met anybody who's had a as hectic a schedule as I do. Where does someone who produces, writes, sings, find time to eat and eat quality food, right? Because we can grab some from a Wawa or Chinese store anytime, but yeah. actually planning, cooking, how does that work? Well, I, um, I love food. I, and I, I'm like, I'm a big cooker and baker. So I, like I make food and I make really like complicated foods <laughs> for no reason, <laughs> but I'm just like, <laughs> I love food so much that I just love the experience of like preparing it and I think the thing that I love about food is that you can be creative even in preparing food and mm -hmm. like art it is an experience that you can have that's not um dictated by where you come from or what language you speak or any of that it's just like one of those things that brings people together and something that we can all like bond and experience um, so I cook a lot. Um, and then when I'm out, I really do try to, uh, find quality food. Like I'm not a big, like every now and again, I want like a gobbler from Wawa cause life and reasons. 
but for the most part, I feel like I eat pretty healthy. So I seek quality food. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bring snacks. Like, I'm a big snacker. <laughs> so, like, I'm constantly snacking on things. Like, so I, I bring food with me when I'm, like, having a crazy day. Because I'm also one of those people where, like, if I start working and I get in the zone, I don't always take the time to, like, remember, oh, you haven't mm. fueled your body in, like, hours. Go eat something. So I try to yeah. bring food with me too. That, that's me frequently. I'll look up. It's four thirty, five o'clock, and I'm like, oh, I haven't eaten breakfast yet. Like, yeah. That's not normal. Which is not normal, nor is it healthy. Yeah. And I've I've had some. Um, this was a while ago, but I had some some health issues. So I'm just really conscious about like how I treat my body now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I keep a tub of pretzel sticks in my office, and I. But keep... pretzel sticks are such an amazing gift from the heavens. Yes. Yes, they are. They and trail really mix, are. little pouches of trail mix. I love trail mix. You know what? I started recently, I found, uh, it's like a coconut milk-based yogurt. It's a strawberry, banana, coconut milk-based yogurt that still has like, um, it still has like the good, uh, what are they called? Nutrients. I don't know why I'm blanking on stuff. Probiotics. They have all the good probiotics go. in them. Um, so I've been doing those with like granola hmm. and like a like honey so like that's one of my like favorite snacks now or if i just need like a little bit of something Mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite snacks but like if i have time i'll like go in like i made pad thai like authentic pad thai the other night and it took forever but it was totally worth it like i went to h mart got all the ingredients dried shrimp tamarind paste Mm -hmm. all the stuff and it took forever but it was really yeah, I did my first Beef Wellington, I think it was around Valentine's Day. I did a Beef Wellington, I think I did bok choy, and I know I did cornbread. I did, Do you oh, think Gordon Ramsay would be proud? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he he would not curse me out. He would not do that. It's raw! <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck? Yeah, basically. Yeah, Gordon. I want to meet him one day. He's <laughs> he's so, so I have me. I have dreams of going on MasterChef. So it's do I'm, it. I'm working on it because listen, I'm not trying to go embarrass myself. I'm trying no, to get to a you, certain you have level. To be, you do have to be prepared. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would cook if I went on MasterChef. And I've never made beef Wellington because I don't eat beef, but I have made my version of like salmon Wellington. Hmm. And I've, yeah, I've done some stuff to kind of like make it a little different. Like I actually put a pesto as one of the layers on top of it, which is mm-hmm. was really good. And I made the pesto with cashews instead of, pe- uh, instead of pine nuts. Yeah, so, so instead of nice doing thing. the mushroom layer, I took trail mix, took all the raisins and, and M&Ms out of it, so just left just the nuts, the walnuts, cashews, all that stuff, and I grinded that up, and that was my layer instead of mushrooms. It was actually really good. Hmm. I love mushrooms, though. Like, there's so many different yeah. kinds of them. It was it was only because I forgot to get mushrooms. It was, <laughs> and then it I was really improvised. Like, I love That's baking. I love baking. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I do my pies every Thanksgiving, cream, uh, sweet potato cream. Yes, I've potato. seen your sweet potato pies. I've seen them floating around. <laughs> I have oh, seen wow. the sweet potato pies. I've been, um, I've been trying to be good because I was like trying to keep my dad good because he he loves when I bake. But I'm like, dude, stay stay on your diet. Um, mm-hmm. So I haven't really been baking a whole lot. The last thing I made was a, um, I made a butter like a butter yellow cake with. Um, vanilla buttercream and coconut, which was like a request from one of my cousins for his birthday. 
And before that, I made these really yummy uh, sticky buns with the orange rum glaze that were ridiculous. Like I wanted yeah. to bathe in them and I was just like, these are dangerous. Like, let me do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think that's how food works, but. Yeah, it was, they were just so good. They were so good. Yeah, I don't think I've ever said I wanted to bathe in food, but. Oh, but. I say it frequently and I mean it. Like they were just, I wanted to swim in them. It's like the uh, the ducktails, you know, the um, the scene where Scrooge like jumps in the, the pile of money and he's like swimming. Mm -hmm. I had dreams about doing that, but like with, with the sticky buns. We literally can do a show about old cartoons from the nineties. It's in. It's the best movies. era of cartoons. Like the cartoons now. Mm -hmm. I just I don't feel like they can hold a candle. We had the yeah, best cartoons. We absolutely did. Tom and Jerry, GI Joe. I used to watch them. All of them. The original X Men. The original Spider Man. Mm -hmm. um, Gargoyles. Thundercats. Thundercats. Uh, what else? I'm blanking. Even some of the shows that weren't animated, like Fraggle Rock, like all that mm -hmm. stuff. They brought Fraggle Rock back, though. That's on, uh, I think it's on Hulu now. <laughs> gotcha. We are so off topic right now. I know. Might be like, I will go on a tangent <laughs> like it's my job. Please understand. Like, you have to keep me on topic because I, like, I am no, a tangent fine. jumper. Listen, I could talk about 90s and food and music forever. Which we're talking about I will, music. So. I will always jump on a tangent, so sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. So let's get back to music, though. So yes. you have your own music, but I do. how have you? And talk about that, but also talk about how you've developed over the years. I mean, you you literally had no choice but to get into music from subscribe. <laughs> but how have you developed over the years, and what collaboration would you absolutely want to do if you had a choice? Well, I did a lot of work as far as collaborating and I'm super grateful to my parents and my grandparents because they never wanted me to just be like, oh, you're a singer, you know, and I'm not saying that in a way to be dismissive of anyone else. Um, I'm just saying like they wanted me to really like know and understand like music, music theory. And mm -hmm. um, it's funny because I play the piano and I I'm learning the guitar now. It's been like a love-hate relationship with the guitar for years, but I'm circling back <laughs> yet again. I bought a guitar last year, another guitar last year um, during quarantine and um, fell in love with it again. But in any event, when I was younger, um, my parents were paying for me to go to piano lessons at Settlement. And I hated practicing. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I hated practicing so much. I was just like, oh, this is like, ugh. <laughs> um, and I, I actually, I played the violin first, but um, my dog at the time would just howl the entire time I would be practicing. <laughs> so uh, I switched to the piano. <laughs> okay. He would just howl. Like, he was, he, was, he was accompanying me. Like, I don't know, something about the bow and the violin and the sand it was making that made him want to sing. Or begging um, for mercy. But yeah, continue. So, um, I think I can still play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. I think. But um, in any event, I switched over to the piano and I had a knack for it, but I hated, I hated practicing. So, I stopped going because my parents were like, we're spending all this money for you to go to school to you know to music school and essentially like I would cheat I would wait for my teacher to play stuff and then I would play it because I had a good ear so like I would mm -hmm. just be like okay I'm gonna listen to it 
I'd be like, oh, I don't remember what to say. I was like, can you play it? <laughs> she would play it. And then I would play it. But um, I wasn't actually practicing or like learning how to read. So I still, you know, played the piano over the years and would just pick stuff out and, you know, was able to play it that way. And then when I got to college, I started taking lessons again. And my college piano teacher noticed pretty quickly that I had a good ear. So she refused to play anything for me and she would make me read. <laughs> um, so that I'm actually grateful that she did that because it, it really did help me learn how to read music. But um, I'm, I'm grateful to have that like music knowledge. And then also like I took voice lessons. I, I've been classically trained since I was 12. Um, just vocal exercises, how to protect your voice, how to use your voice. Um, and I, I studied the greats, you know, Whitney and Mariah and Minnie and um, even some pretty amazing uh, opera singers. But um, yeah, like music theory was important. Um, taking the time to like protect your voice, learning how to use your voice because everybody's voice is different. Understanding that singing, your voice is your instrument. Your body is a part of that instrument. So learning what worked for me and what didn't work, kind of figuring out routines that um, work for me as far as like before performance, what my methods were to make sure that I was in the best voice, warming up, you know, certain teas, certain things like that. So um, I think the biggest thing is just spending time with it and figuring out like your sound, what you want to do. Um, and I think the biggest lesson I've learned in all of that has just been being true to myself. Cause I think what happens in the music industry and the entertainment industry in general is that people want to put you in boxes. And I've always hated boxes. I've always <laughs> hated any form of like restriction. I was that kid where like, if you told me not to touch something, I'd be like, what this? Um, so not allowing myself to be put in boxes was one of the other things that I kind of had to learn through this whole music journey. I hope I didn't talk in circles. I hope no, I didn't make sense. No, you're fine. But I do want you to talk about your own content. So talk about your your music, what if, you know, your songs. Well, I'm currently working on a project, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, it's been a long time coming. I feel like I've done the whole start and stop thing forever. Um, but it's funny because when people ask me, oh, well, like, you know, what can we expect from this project? Then I'm like, me. It's kind of hard to explain it anyway, other than that, because again, I don't, I know in order to sell things, people feel the need to classify things or put it in categories. But mm -hmm. I feel like what I'm aiming for is just telling good stories through my songs. But I do feel like it's a, an eclectic mix of like genres. Like I really like uh, singer songwriter songs. So I like songs that tell stories. Um, so I, there's, you know, like the lyrical content, like there's going to be storytelling in the lyrics, you know, it's not just going to mm -hmm. be like rhyming. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's no, I do. Like yeah. I want to have content. So um, I just finished recording the first single or but I'm thinking it's going to be the first single. Um, and I'm still currently working on finishing the project. Initially, I wanted it to be an EP. Now I'm still at the point where I'm not sure if it's going to be an EP or a full feature album just yet. 
Um, I'm also really excited, but I can't talk about it just yet. I just did a duet with, um, with a group. And hopefully, if you have me back, I can tell you more about it because it'll be out by then. Yeah, we'll um, definitely have you back. Yeah, but uh, I'm just excited. It's been a, it's been a journey. I did an interview with Carol Riddick, I think it was like two or three weeks ago, and she's working on a project as well. And we were, you know, kind of just sharing stories. And she said she wasn't sure if she had it in her to do another project. And although I've written for people and I've released songs here and there, I've never done like a full project that was completely mine from my brain to the page to the track. Um, I've had some terrible, 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 terrible experiences working with producers in the industry, um, which is why I said what I did just in terms of like finding your voice and not letting other people tell you what that is. Um, for a long time, I let people kind of like tell me how things should sound or, oh, like, you know, this is the direction, the direction you should go. So put and you I'm, in that box. Yeah, and it's like for the first time now, I'm just not allowing myself to do that. I'm working with a producer that um, trusts my vision too. And it's like we can just bounce ideas off of each other. It's like no ego, it's no anything. It's just like creating, which is my favorite thing to do. So um, I feel like this project will truly be a reflection of what I actually want to do versus like other people putting their ideas on my sound, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So a little fun fact about me. I actually really, really want to learn the acoustic guitar. I just have never Do purchased it. one. I've never taken lessons, but I really love the sound, the natural sound. It's and so kind pretty. Of methodic and, so and just pretty. beautiful sound. The only thing past that, I'm not going to learn the harp, but I, I love the sound of the harp. But I actually was really good with the harp when I was a kid, but we like harps were so expensive. And at the time, we just couldn't afford it. Like, I, I saw a harp at a store, and I just started playing it. Yeah. You don't really see many guys playing the harp either, but... I mean, so why not be one? Yeah, I could be like the uh, Savion Glover of harps. Of the harp. It's such a beautiful instrument. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like I've had dreams with, like, the harp playing in the background. <laughs> it's just so pretty. It's yeah. so pretty. But I think um, I'll start with the acoustic guitar. I think that's what I'll Yeah. Start. I feel like if you can get the acoustic guitar, the hardest part about the guitar is like, or at least for me, um, I'm a girly girl. So number one, I was like, oh, I have to cut my nails down. Like, oh, this is dumb. <laughs> um, I know that's me being a girly girl. I totally understand that. Uh, Very much. Also, I, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself because my uncle was such a, an incredible uh, guitar player. Like him and Prince used to like, you know, go back and forth and he could play behind his head and all kind of crazy stuff. Standard. And at one point he was like trying to teach me, but it's like having Einstein try to teach you like basic, <laughs> like basic math. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it was mm -hmm. just like, he was so advanced. <laughs> Him trying to explain things to me on like just a beginner's level was like not a thing. So he was like moving at rapid pace and I was trying to keep up and then I was getting angry with myself when I couldn't, you know, advance as quickly as I had in some other areas of music. Um, but the hardest part for me is just maintaining those calluses on your fingers. You get calluses oh. from, you know, the different frets, moving up and down the frets, you get calluses. 
Yeah. I mean, even though I'm a handyman, I, my hands are kind of soft. I don't, I'm a computer guy. Yeah, those, those, those calluses, uh, they were a little rough because my fingers were really, 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 really hurting when I started um, playing again. Yeah, nobody bit. told me about the pain part of playing it. Oh yeah, no, and you get you get pain in your wrist too, depending on how long you go, and just figuring out like you know where to put your hands on the guitar and what frets and basic notes and basic chords, all that stuff. Are you trying to sell it to me right now? I well, listen, I feel like it's such a beautiful instrument. I feel like um, I I think it's a challenge that you or that you are more than capable of, of doing. So the tail end reassurance, I got you. It is. Yeah. I, I'm telling you what some of my challenges were. It doesn't mean that they will necessarily be your challenges. I have really small hands, so finding a guitar that, <laughs> that Sorry, I could actually I fit around the, the neck the of was like... Rex. Yeah, I'm like, I have small hands. I have like teeny... T you see how small my wrists are? I have like teeny tiny wrists. So it was hard to find a guitar where the neck wasn't so big that I was like able to actually move up and down the frets. So I had some challenges that you might not have. Gotcha. I, I don't feel motivated, <laughs> but I don't feel less motivated. You should feel, feel motivated. motivated. It's a beautiful instrument. I feel like there are enough YouTube videos and stuff out there that you will be able to learn the guitar in no time. And there's gotcha. so many songs that are in the same, like, three or four keys that you'll be able to at least play a couple songs to impress folks. I just want to play in a club that has smoke in it and people are drinking and then everybody snap when I'm not, done. That's all I want. I do not miss clubs with smoke. I, I, not, not at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't, well, see, I smoke cigars, but you know. Yeah. No. Yucky. Mind. Yucky. Or yucky. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like you've answered this numerous times already during our conversation here. But if you could be mentored musically by anyone alive, not alive, who would it be? Whitney. Would you be your music? Uh, yeah, I figured that was going to be the answer. Yeah, but, yeah. Whitney. I mean, she's literally like, I can't think of anyone besides maybe, um, so no longer living. Oh, wait, no. No longer living Whitney and Prince. Hmm. Because I think the two of them really mastered utilizing their voices as instruments. Like, mastered it. Um, there's also a really incredible singer named Regine Velasquez, who is, where is she from? I want to say she's from the Philippines. I'm not entirely sure, though. So I don't. She's Asian, but I don't know exactly. I think she's Filipino. I think. Um but she's like she's out of this world and it's actually weird to me that more americans don't know who she is because she's like this huge star over over there where she's from but um yeah she's incredible so she could be a mentor too gotcha well on the lines of selena if you remember selena was not even american name until she broke through and then suddenly you know just throwing back to the throwing back to the 90s again but yeah. you know the movie you know she was she was not very popular in the US until she got her break and then suddenly she was a worldwide phenomenon but at, I'm looking up her name because I really want to know and I don't want to be disrespectful yes she's Filipino okay I, like I don't feel like a crazy person because I was like I need to like I want to be correct <laughs> yes so ladies Filipino. and gentlemen that's a perfectionist moment yeah. <laughs> 
I just, I, you know, like, I, people are proud of where they come from. So I didn't want to be, like, disrespectful and say she was from someplace she wasn't. That's all. No, I get it. I get it. That's integrity, too. It's not just perfectionism. It's integrity. So we, we've actually had conversations outside of planning for this episode. Um, but I want to talk about family for a second. So how yeah. important is family? How much does your family mean to you and how they influence? I mean, you've talked about so much influence, but how much have they influenced you and built you to be the person you are? My family, well, my immediate family, I'll say, because I have a big family, but my immediate family, um, they are some of the best people I've ever met. And I say that with like no hesitation, like they're just really awesome human beings. So um, they mean the world to me. We're really close. We always have been really close. I, I have so many just incredible memories, like from childhood up until now of just us spending time together, all these adventures, like Recently, I don't even know how it came up, but we were talking about, I was talking about laser tag with somebody and um, it brought back a memory because we used to play laser tag in the house that I grew up in, <laughs> my family. Like we all had um, the laser tag packs. Like, I don't know if you remember, they used to have like the laser tag packs and we would like literally chase each other around the house and like pick teams. So sometimes it'd be like my brother and I versus my parents. And sometimes it would be like my mom and I versus the boys or my dad and I versus them, but like we just, we would have fun. We would have, um, and even in the hard times, like I remember um, there were times where I didn't realize that until much later that we were struggling financially, but my parents were able to shield that from us. Then I'll give you a prime example. We used to have campouts in the living room with sleeping bags and tents and the whole nine. And I didn't know it's because sometimes the electric got cut off, but like we would actually request mm. <laughs> these campouts in the living room. But I just feel like my parents did such an excellent job of like allowing us to be kids and also allowing us to to find our own paths and like find who we wanted to be as people, but with guidance. Um, unlike a lot of other artists that I've spoken with. I never felt like I was not supported by them. Some other family members had things to say, but as far as my parents go, um, I always felt like they were like, shoot for the stars. You know, like, what is it that you wanna do? What makes you happy? How can we help that happen? Um, so I think having that support system and having people that I knew had my back no matter what made it easier um especially being in the entertainment business like there's a lot of glitz and glamour that people associate with it but no not nobody but a lot of times if you don't know you don't know how hard it is just to try to navigate that world it's tough like it's really tough it's a lot of rejection. It's a lot of nonsense. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's a lot. So it's easy to feel discouraged, you know, when you're trying to figure out, okay, what are my next steps? What are my plans? How am I going to do this? Like, it's easy to get discouraged. And I always had folks, you know, still encouraging me to keep going. And um, even, you know, like I'll give you another example, like with acting, 
um, you know, you go on all these auditions, singing too, you go on auditions all the time, you audition for things and you go out and I always had um, test anxiety, so I always had anxiety as it pertained to, to um, auditions as well. And so, you know, you go on all these auditions and sometimes, you know, you, you don't get it. And I've always been super sensitive and I was taking it personal. <laughs> Like, and started doubting, like, myself and my ability. And I remember one time my mom said to me, like, Riz, you have to be able to separate charisma, the product, and charisma, the person. Them not picking you for something has no, like, it has nothing to do with you as a person or the value that you bring or the value that your gifts bring. They could just be looking for something different. And then there's also politics and nepotism and all those other things too. But like, that was something that stuck with me and it helped me to be able to compartmentalize those things so that I wasn't bringing, you know, all of the rejection, like internalizing that. And it's still not easy to want something and have it not work out. Like that's just yeah. a part of life that sucks, but <laughs> it makes it a little easier um, so yeah, my, my family has just been super supportive, super instrumental. They've always been there. They continue to be there. Um, we're still really close. I actually helped take care of my grandmother who's 92. Um, so yeah, I just, I feel like I, I hit the jackpot as far as like my, my inner family circle. They're pretty incredible. Like I have, uh, it's my mom, my dad, and my brother, my grandma, and I have a couple cousins that I'm just really, really close with. I have two cousins that are like my sisters and one cousin that's like my little brother. And like, that's my little, that's my little squad. And best wishes, I know we've, we've talked about outside of this, you know, with you taking care of your grandmother. So, you know, best wishes to her, of course. Thank you. Um, she's doing pretty good. She's she's a strong lady, I'll tell you that much. She'll yeah, be 93 this year. They're such, like, man, <laughs> she's just, she's such a rock star. And I think a lot of um, my tenacity came from her, too. Like up until she had a fall um, a few years back, which is um, what resulted in a lot of her like medical issues now. But uh, prior to that, like she was still climbing up on ladders and all kind of crazy stuff. I'd be like, lady. <laughs> Go sit down somewhere. Yes. <laughs> like I call her and she'd be on her phone. Like I call her on her cell phone. I'm like, hey, my mom, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm driving to, to Jersey. Like her sisters uh, lived in North Jersey or I'm driving to South Carolina with who? With who? Oh, it's just me and one other person, lady. Mm -hmm. But she, you know, she was just a go-getter and she would just, yeah. she would go. And uh, she was always a busybody, which I think helps me to be able to do all the juggling that I have to do just to try to yeah. get through every day. Gotcha. So, yeah. Well, so that's the end of the Q&A. And by the way, we're already the longest episode ever. Oh, but, see, yeah. I have the reps. <laughs> it's okay. I get the reps too, but it, it's perfectly fine. But we're going to shift to my favorite part of my guest segment, which is first thoughts. And if you're tuning in for the first time and have never heard my show before, first of all, shame on you. But <laughs> second of all, um, these are questions, phrases, words that I pose to my guests. They have not seen them. They're not privy to them. I do not tip them off about them. And the idea is what are your first thoughts? So, Charisma, are you ready? I don't know. Should I stretch first? <laughs> no, don't stretch. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
small wrist. I don't want you to break something. Okay. <laughs> All right. So first, first thought. Stage versus studio audience or artist, I should say. So stage versus studio artist. What's your first thought? Stage versus studio artist. Well, uh, I will say <laughs> they're just a completely different experience. Uh, one of the things I missed the most, you know, with last year and being locked down was not being able to do those live performances in front of the stage because there's just a certain energy exchange that happens when you're performing in front of a live audience. Um, there are now, and this is not to shame anybody, but there are folks now that are only suited for the studio. And that comes with, you know, technology and auto-tune and a lot of other things. And I'm just hoping because that's not everybody. There are some artists now that are new that have come out over the past couple years. Um, her comes to mind. Mm -hmm. uh, Victoria Monet is another, uh, another artist. Um, even Ariana Grande, like she's a great live performer. Like she sounds like she sounds in the studio. And that's always been my goal. Like aside from changing some things that just are artistically better or however you're feeling in the, in the moment, my goal has always been to sound pretty, you know, like I sound in the studio, like I want to sound like that when I'm performing. So I'm hoping we're kind of circling back to the point where like you get the live performance on the stage and it sounds mm -hmm. like what you get in the studio. We're not there yet, though, Dave. I, 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 need, to get, <laughs> I need to get back to my, my concerts. I, I definitely do. Yeah. I will say my, my top three just to pop in my head right now. Studio sounds the same way on stage. Anita Baker. Hmm. Esperanza Spaulding. I and love her. Amel LaRue. I've yeah. never seen Amel or actually I've never seen either any of the, the, the women that you named live. Uh, I saw Prince live life altering. I didn't, I didn't see Prince live. I missed like, that. That sucks that I didn't see I, he did a He did an acoustic version of Little Red Corvette and I legitimately cried. <laughs> like it was just and it was just him and the guitar like no bells and whistles, none of the extra stuff, no crazy lighting, no like it was just him and the guitar in the middle of a stage and it was one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen in my life. It was like it was mind blowing. So I loved him live. Um Anderson Peck, who I would love to work with. He's so dope. He's so Anderson, dope. you're listening? Yes, like please. Uh Silk Sonic, I would I would love to be a part of that whole movement of bringing that feeling and that kind of music back um, but yeah he put on an incredible show and um, I saw Emily King and um, Sarah Bareilles live mm. this probably was the end of yeah like the end of 2019 before everything got crazy um, yeah. my brother bought me tickets for my birthday because I, I like I love the two of them so much as artists as artists as writers as singers performers like I just love them and mm. they were amazing and sounded like themselves like studio version, live version, like they were, mm -hmm. they were on it's, par. It's really important to me. Like, I, I don't want to go and like, wait, who, what, what's happening? Like, I don't want to do that. I want to go, wow, that sounds like I close my eyes and I'm just playing track four. Like, yes, yeah. that's the goal. I've, I've mm -hmm. had some experiences where I went to a concert and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, who is okay. this? You didn't do that run like that on it. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Flat, flat, I do, not, flat. Not so and we're not talking so, about what kind of chicken you like, but flat. 
Mm -hmm. Flat. Drum. Uh, first of all, the drum. I don't talk no. to flats. Flats. Yeah. Spicier the better. More soft. Flats. Flats. Yeah. That's the only time that flats are appropriate. I want flats <laughs> in my chicken. I don't Where's want the, the meat? drumstick. Where's the meat? There's no meat. No, thank you. <laughs> so not so fun fact. I actually have a list of people who I wish I had seen live before they died. So like Luther, mm. Prince, MJ. Yeah, I didn't get to see MJ either. I did see Janet Jackson live when I was four and really want to see her again. That's fun fact. Say, she's still alive. But... Well, I know, but she's the only person. Um, she's the only person I've ever been starstruck by ever. Like the falling out? Like I didn't fall out. I just couldn't talk. So I went to, <laughs> I went to the Rhythm Nation okay. concert and I was mm -hmm. dressed up as Janet, like had my like I had my earring on with the little key and everything. I had on her whole black Rhythm Nation outfit. I think I was like five. I want to say I was like four or five. Mm -hmm. And I was at the front of the stage and she like bent down to, to wave to me and she smiled. And I had just been dancing because I knew all the choreography during the whole nine. And she, when she bent down and she waved at me and she smiled, I just was like, and I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything. I was just like stuck. And my mom's like, rest, rest. And I'm like. <laughs> I got nothing for you right now, mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just I was just like, it's her. Like, it's really mm -hmm. her. So, yeah, I hope that I get to meet her and um, see her perform live again. That'd be amazing. Yeah, little Penny was my, my baby mama back in the late 80s. Yeah. <laughs> no. I still haven't forgiven her rotten mother. Oh, yeah. So that was a long first thought, but, and it's perfectly fine. So here we go. First thought number two, the influence of the media. What's your first thought? I think it's a, a gift and a curse. Lately, I feel like it's been more of a curse than a gift. Um, mm -hmm. I think the media has a lot of power in terms of influencing the way people think. Um, and unfortunately, especially as it pertains to black people, and I always will circle back to the black experience because that's my experience every day in life. Um, I don't always feel like the truth is being put out there in a way that's real. Hmm. So yeah, that's my thought on that. Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with the media, mostly hate. I mean, I'm in the media, so I get it, but yeah. I've also had experiences. Not you, not you. You don't know, but, I, but I'm saying I understand your love-hate relationship because it's like, I get it. It's, it's awesome, but it's also a responsibility that I don't think a lot of people um, fully understand, like the weight of that. And I've had mm -hmm. experiences working in the media where I've seen firsthand people using it to, to shift the narrative in ways that they want to shift the narrative. And um, that's, I mean, that's just really unfortunate. And one example is um, when I worked at the news station, the news, uh, the news director that was there at the time is no longer there, but um, she had said to a friend of mine who wanted to do a story on um, PYPM, which was the Philadelphia Youth Poetry Movement, um, they had just qualified to compete in Canada, so they were doing this international competition. And uh, one of my friends who was reporting wanted to highlight the fact that these kids were doing this amazing work and being recognized internationally. At the same time, they were doing um, the flash mobs. It was a bunch of kids like doing flash mobs and breaking in, doing stuff down at Liberty Place or whatever. 
They had run the story on the flash mobs every day for like mm -hmm. over a week. And then she wanted to do this story that was highlighting our kids doing positive things and was told it wasn't a Monday story, it wasn't a Tuesday story, it wasn't a Wednesday story. Mm. And it was just like, so we can only do stories about our kids when they're tearing their butts, but we can't uplift them and show like, oh, like there are other options. So stuff like that will always just make me furious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, someday somebody's going to have to explain to me what a Monday story or a Tuesday story is. You know, I still don't know what a Monday or Tuesday story is. I really don't know. I'm not in the media, but I don't know if there's certain demographics or statistics that say show these I think it was, on a Monday. I think it was malarkey, but that's just me. Yeah, there's about 90% sarcasm in that. <laughs> just say it. All right, so next first thought, creative block. What's your first thought? I hate them. <laughs> I hate them so much. They're the bane of my existence. But I do think the best thing to do to kind of get out of them is to get some fresh air, walk away from whatever it is, and then come back. Don't just keep at it. If you're blocked and you can't make it through, I say just walk away for a minute and then come back. That's my process anyway. Happens to the best of us. Gotcha. Usually I get up and go work out and then come back. And yeah. Get some food, get some fresh air, come back to it later. Mm-hmm. But you could also like scream and pull your hair a little. I, I got this here. I don't, yeah. <laughs> Old life. So yeah. next first thought, and this, this was kind of, and you know, it's my show. I take liberties. It's my own personal thought. But motivation of pain. What's your first thought? Like pick one? No, motivation of pain. Oh, the motivation, like meaning motivation that can come from pain. Mm -hmm. um, I think as an artist, a lot of times those two things are like, <laughs> like there's a lot of intersectionality that happens there. Um, I think some of the best art that was ever created was motivated by pain. Mm. Um, and I think it's really brave of artists to be able to share that. Yeah, a lot of, you know, some people say drugs, some people say pain. You know, it's those two things have created some of the most amazing songs, amazing movies, poetry, yeah. dance, you know, all Because it's things. real. Mm -hmm. It's real. Like we, um, we all experience pain just living as human beings. So why not find ways to turn that pain into something that will hopefully like make it a little bit easier or at least be like an outlet for somebody else that might be experiencing experiencing something similar or who has gone through something similar i feel like art is supposed to be um not supposed to be because i don't want to put pressure on art but i think art in a lot of ways can be used to heal people and I think that happens a lot, especially if a particular element of art um, was motivated by pain and then you're able to like express it. That helps healing for the artist, but then also for whoever is like looking at it or feeling it or listening to it. So, yeah. Gotcha. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. So very last first thought, 10 years from now, what's your first thought? <laughs> Uh, well, I would love to have a house in an island, on an island somewhere. <laughs> Me too. That would yeah. be great. I, shoes are like 
like I like them. I think they're really pretty, but I would love to be someplace where like shoes are optional. Um, I hope I'm still creating things that people enjoy, that bring them joy. Um, I want to have a family by then. I just want to be happy. Ten years from now, I just want to be. I want to be happy. I want to see my family happy. Um, I, I want to be walking in what I feel like is my purpose, which is to be a light and to share creativity with the world. So if I'm doing that in 10 years, I feel like I'll be okay. And still cooking and baking things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Still yeah. cooking and baking. Still cooking and baking Snaps things. on your fingers from acoustic guitars. Yes. Hopefully by then my, my calluses will have set in and I'll be experiencing less pain. Very rough and rugged handshakes for the rest of your no. life. No. 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 Still moisturizing. We're black. Yeah. We use we, yes. we use lotion. Yes. Can't be ashy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so let me give you one bonus one. I know I said that was the last one. A I bonus. Lie. I don't lie often, but that was a lie. So it I opened I opened this guest segment up talking about arts in the schools. So just you know, really quickly, what are your thoughts on the importance of arts, the lack of funding, and how they can just help the community overall? I mean, I think. Um, I think that there's been enough studies and things where we've seen what art can do for young people. We've seen how it impacts them in ways that are positive. Um, I sit on the board for an organization called um, Big Picture Alliance, and I was with this organization when I was 16. It's the first film I ever did was with this organization, and they help students, high school students that are interested in learning the ins and outs of films um, learn how to do those things and in all the different elements. So they start from storyboarding and go through the whole process of actually picking a concept of, for their film. Um, they pitch it to us and other like film professionals. Um, we have to green light these stories and then they actually get to show them to their friends and family. Um, I would love to see more programs like that with various aspects of art that just give young people an opportunity to explore their creativity. Um, I think it was over last summer, there was a big, um, at one point, I forget the name of the organization, but at one point they were gonna actually remove all of the artistic funding for the city of Philadelphia. I think it was like $4 million. And um, I signed a petition and a bunch of other folks signed a petition. the full budget wasn't able to be used, but I think they were able to save like $2 million or something like that. So um, another thing I'll say is that folks that understand the importance of art and creativity have to continue to fight to get the resources that our kids need to help keep you know, programs like Big Picture Alliance and other programs that I know Philadelphia has and you know, all over. Um, to keep programs like that available so that young people do have those outlets so that they're getting into um, getting into things that can benefit them instead of getting into trouble. Like kids need outlets and creativity has helped save a number of people. So I think, um, I think we need to do everything we can to make sure that our kids have the resources to explore their creative minds. Absolutely. After school programs helped me and like, you know, the pat on the back, my MG program that I was in. Oh, were you in the mentally gifted too? I was yes, too. Yes, I was. 
Yes, I was in the chess club. I was all kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> chess club, newspaper club. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just want to stay like, school as much as possible. Yeah, like, and all that stuff is really helpful. And I just feel mm -hmm. like, you know, the idea of people like actually saying, oh, no, like, let's take away those things. Like, why would you do such a thing? Even home economics. I mean, I, I don't even know a school in Philly that has home economics right now. I don't either. Actually, when I um, I went to Friends Select for high school, and they had a lot of like creative outlets, but I don't think we had a home economics class. I took synchronized swimming. <laughs> um, I was in plays and musicals. I was okay. in all kind of stuff, but I don't think they had home economics. But I was able to um, pick electives and stuff. Sidebar. I went to Overbrook High School, which is supposedly known as a fashion school to West Philly. Okay. I was not a participant, though. I didn't do fashion. I did okay. books and football and baseball, but I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I want to see more. I want to see more programs that just like help kids explore and try things. I feel like that's how you kind of figure out what you want to do is if you try. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't have those options presented in front of you, like, how would you even know? Like, oh, this might be something I'm interested in. Yeah, if you've never, you've never experienced even thought it, of. Yeah, yeah, if you've never experienced it, like, how would you know? Exactly. We like options. Yes. <laughs> options in food, except when it comes to wings. Drumsticks, why do you want flats? Seriously. There's more meat on I the mean, we can fight about this later, but I have my reasons. <laughs> okay. I have my reasons. Well, Charisma, I want to thank you so much for stepping into Dave's head. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Uh, very did. robust and plentiful conversation about a lot of things. Um, before we go, if you want to take an opportunity to tell the people about anything you have going on or any initiatives you're a part of, feel free to do so. Okay. Um, I will try to remember things. <laughs> well, uh, one thing that I started doing recently, I started um, hosting and producing a show called Sun Spotlight for the Philadelphia Sunday Sun, which comes out every Thursday at noon on the Philadelphia Sunday Sun's Facebook page, where I interview a myriad of folks and just talk to them about you know their life and uh, experiences, their journey, how they're navigating all of those things and uh, the hope is just to inspire people by again human connection and telling those stories so yeah that's every thursday at noon on the philadelphia sunday sun's facebook page um hopefully i'll have some music that i'll be releasing soon like within the next couple of months so i'll be keeping all that stuff updated on my social media which is at real charisma um and my website is www.realcharisma.com. So any other updates will be on that as well. There's nothing else I can think of at the moment. <laughs> but gotcha. yeah, those two things are on the on the forefront. All right, all right. Except flats instead of drumsticks, but whatever. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Charisma, for joining us. And we will be right back after this. Awesome. Hey, headers. Yeah, I didn't coin the phrase, I know. During my podcast, you'll notice that between segments, you hear commercials. Kind of like this one. The commercials are either paid sponsorships or promotional for people who support my podcast. Well, I like to provide that same opportunity to all my headers. If you like and support, well, technically, you don't have to like it, I guess. But I mean, it's kind of weird and somewhat creepy if you don't like my podcast, but you're still faithfully listening to it. Anyway. If you at least listen to my podcast, I'd like to offer you the opportunity to advertise on it. 
Now, before you say it, there's no cost. Hashtag free. If you have a charity or community event or anything going on where you're paying it forward, shoot me an email with a summary and the key info and I'll do all the rest for you. Or, you know what, get creative and do a 30 second ad yourself and send it to me. Either way, send it to davesheadpod at gmail.com. Let's spread the news about great things together. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Welcome back. I cannot thank Charisma enough for that amazing interview and also just taking all the time to just thoroughly, completely with thought, answer all those questions. We will certainly make it our point to have her back in Dave's head again. I hope you enjoyed it. That's all that matters. This season of Dave's Head, I introduced Headers Hangups. It's an opportunity for you to submit topics and questions for me to discuss or answer during the show. I'll take one or two, depending on the length, and answer at your pleasure. The first question that came in is anonymous, and it's, you're young, (laughs) when did you go bald, and does it run in your family? So for those that don't know, I actually am bald. I like fedoras, so that's why we're fedora on the show. But as you can see, definitely bald, definitely bald. So I actually went bald, first of all, intentionally. I'm not bald bald. I'm not, you know, Sherman Hemsley bald or anything like that. I literally went bald or decided to go bald back in 99, I think it was. And it's a really sad reason that I decided to do it. I literally went to bald because I got tired of going to the barber every week. My hair grows so incredibly fast, really, really fast. I shave every other day. Sometimes I'll shave, I mean, so close together that it's really like a day and some change. Because the stubble on my hair grows, like by the time this night is done, I will have that, that prickly hair where it's, it's so pointy and sharp that you can kind of stab yourself with it a little bit. My hair grows that incredibly fast. If you've seen any pictures of my legs, you know I'm a hairy individual. Hairy. Like Teen Wolf's teen son. Hairy. That's how hairy I am. And so my hair grows really, really fast. This is trimmed and cut down, but if I didn't do that work, trimming it and cutting it down, it would be, you know, full on here. But, so, the the second part of the question about hereditary. No, I don't, and, and usually... And I believe this to be true. Someone, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. And my audience and will do that. That That's how they roll. I believe the baldness hereditary gene comes from the mother. My mother is not bald. And her family, her side of the family, was not bald. My grandfather, who's or was her mother, or excuse me, my grandfather, who was her father, had long, flowing gray hair. Not bald in the least. So there's no baldness per se that runs on that side of family. Now, some family members that are still alive are kind of showing that baldness. And I will say that all of my shaving over the years, there are some light spots. If I were to let it fully grow out, like I, I wouldn't look like, um, what's his name's character in Ali, Jamie Foxx. I wouldn't look like his character's hair 
and, and Ali. You know, he had kind of like you could sit a bowl in there and it would just fit tight because that's how, you know, the, the center pattern baldness was happening. That's not me. But I enjoy being bald. Why? Because I can just get up and go. I don't have to shave. I can go out and be stubbly and it's okay. It doesn't look bad. And I got a round head too. It kind of fits. But I decided to go bald literally because I got tired of going to the barbershop every Friday. Like literally I had to go every single Friday. And back then I had waves. And if you know the maintenance it takes away, just sitting there brushing, 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 do rags, all that stuff. I kind of got tired of the maintenance. I may maximize the output with the minimal energy type of person, which is why I used to hate practice in football. I just wanted to play. I hate going to the gym. I didn't, I don't now. I did back then. I hated going to the gym. So I made it a challenge. I made it my enemy. And I was literally in there all the damn time because of that. I hated brushing my hair repeatedly. I hated when I took a shower. If I didn't brush my hair, it would just do all types of stuff. I had to brush it dry. Now, granted, my waves was flowing. Like, they were flowing back in the day. But, I decided to go bald. Just, I got tired of going to the barber every Friday. It's really that simple. Second question is also anonymous. And it's, you are one of, if not the, and they really put all caps, the busiest people I know. How the hell do you do so much? And when do you sleep? LOL. So yes, I'm busy and I, I cannot deny that. I'm a part of multiple organizations. I do a lot of things, paying it back to the community, paying it forward to the community. This podcast, I'm working on initiatives with my podcast. I'm working on initiatives with some boards. I'm working on another initiative for something else. I'm in the progress of making some major changes in my life this year. Oh yeah, I have a job and a career. Um, yeah, I'm very busy. I make time for what I make time for. And I've said this and I've always practiced this. People make time for the things they care about. And so if it's a woman I'm involved with, if it's my friends and family, if it's my podcast, if it's my career, if it's the organizations I'm a part of, it's the things I'm trying to do, I make time for it. Now. I live through my calendar. I absolutely live through my calendar, or should I say calendars, because I have about seven calendars for the different organizations I'm a part of and my personal calendars and all that stuff. But I live through my calendar. And so what's in my calendar is what I do. I block out time when I can. I have task lists every single day. I have a task list. And so I highly recommend using Microsoft to do if you have a Windows system. I believe it's available on Mac as well. I'm pretty sure I have a Mac laptop and I'm pretty sure it's on there. But I put things in there even if I just think of them. And every single day you can add things to your day. And so there are things that I've had in my task list for a week or a month or since last year. They have importance, obviously. And I have different groups and categories and all that stuff. And I'm, it makes recommendations based on the things that I... I think it just spies on me, but it makes recommendations based on how soon or, or far away you added them. Did you put a due date on it? That type of stuff. And I add it to my day and I generally make a good effort to get everything done. Now there are days where I don't, if I add 10 things on my list, I may not get 10 things done, but it, it also does not impact me. It doesn't make me sad or angry if I can't get everything done. 
as long as the things and people I care about get done, I add extra things in case I get those things taken care of. And so, yes, I am extremely busy, but I make time for what I make time for, as I like to say, and I make time for people and things I care for, as we all should. And so no matter who it is or how long it's been since I've seen them, if we have time in our schedules, our schedules, you know, may cross, but if we have time where we're both free, I'm going to opt to spend time with people or that person, my friends, my family. Now, for the last part of the question, when do I sleep? I admittedly don't have great sleep habits. I sleep when I'm tired as opposed to a certain bedtime. I get things done in the course of a day and routinely don't even sniff the bed before 1 a.m. It's just normal. I wake up around 6, 6.30, maybe 7 at the latest. The warmer it gets and the earlier that sun comes up and the warmer the temperature is, the more likely I am to wake up with the sun. And so, for instance, last night I went to bed around 1.30, maybe 2 o'clock. I was up at 6.15. I wear a ring on my finger that tracks vital stats and all that stuff. And I can post the link to it. It's an O-ring, O-U-R-I-N-G. It's an amazing product. I first learned about it last year during the pandemic. The NBA was using this product for its NBA players in the bubble to track their movements, body temperature, things like that. When I contracted COVID last November, my ring alerted me that something was wrong with my body before I actually felt the symptoms. That's how good of a quality product it is. They frequently update the firmware on it, update the software. It's really, really good stuff. But every day I look at it and it tells me about my readiness. It tells me about my sleep. This morning, somehow, despite only getting, if you were listening, I went to bed 1.32, woke up around 6.15. Despite only getting about four, four and a half hours of sleep, my sleep was actually great quality. My readiness was a great score. Just because my heart rate went down to a low level while I was sleeping, which is a great sign of recovery. If you, if you look up the, the documentation and the articles and all those things that the O-ring people send you, they tell you that your heart rate needs to come down while you're sleeping because it's a sign that your body is resting. My heart rate tends to stay up and it has done that a lot since I got this ring. I would say probably about 30, 25 to 30% of the time I get alerted when I wake up that my heart rate did not come down enough for me to have an actual resting sleep. And so my readiness score is low. But last night it did. Last night I was comfortable. I slept throughout the night. I didn't toss and turn. It tracks movement, all those things. So to answer the question though, I sleep when I sleep. I don't sleep during the day. I actually don't prefer to sleep during the day at all. If I'm really that tired and really, really, really just need to sleep, I'll accidentally fall asleep. I won't intentionally go to sleep during the day. I'll accidentally fall asleep and wake up like, oh shit, I fell asleep. That's kind of how that works. So yes, I'm very busy. And yes, I do have strange sleep habits. They're not unhealthy sleep habits because I literally do track this. I look at this every morning to see how I am physically, body temperature, breathing. It tracks all these things. Respiratory is the correct word. And to make sure if, if I get a couple days in a row where it tells me to take it easy, which it will do that, it'll tell you, maybe take it easy today. Your heart rate didn't come down enough. You really didn't get a good sleep. You were tossing, turning. You didn't get a lot of REM sleep. It tracks all these things. If I get a couple days in a row of that, I will shut it down for a little bit. And by shutting it down, I mean sit on the couch and 
maybe use my laptop instead of being in the office or working out hard that day or doing a bunch of this and a bunch of that. But it's just how I operate. I always say you sleep when you die. I always say life is too short to spend a single moment unhappy. And the things that I do don't make me unhappy. I actually enjoy doing the things that I do. This podcast, I enjoy having people on, guests on to give you some good information, some life tips, some business tips, some finance tips, education tips. I enjoy that. I enjoy my interaction with people. I enjoy hearing people's story. I'm a pleaser. So I enjoy seeing people smile as a result of the things that I do. I do, however, understand that I need to learn to say no a little more. It's something I've struggled with for 20 plus years, so it's not going to change overnight. Unless, you know, knock on wood, that something medically happens to me where my doctor says you need to say no or you're going to die. I will probably resist and struggle to say no in the foreseeable future. But I promise to do better. So, yes, I'm busy, but it's good busy. My sleep is adequate. Could be better at times, but that's something I'm working on. If you have a headers hang up, feel free to ask me any question whatsoever. If you want my opinion on it or if it's something you just want me to research and give you some good information on all my social media, shoot me an email, davesheadpodcast at gmail.com. Inbox me on any of my social media or simply text me as some people have done as well. If you have my number coming up, we have my favorite portion of the show, my grin and our monthly giveaway contest winner announcement. We'll be right back after this. Hey, good people. You may have noticed some cool music playing for this show. That music was provided by DJ Ms. Deluxe. Deluxe represents as one of the top female DJs in Philly. Since 92, she's been spinning in clubs, on the radio, and touring around the country. And now is doing big things as a producer and local promoter under the main event Philly. Check her out on Instagram at DJ Ms. Deluxe. That's D-J-M-Z-D-E-L-U-X-X. And for promotions at the main event Philly. All one word. That's DJ Ms. Deluxe. Doing it since the golden era music. The 90s, as I like to call it. Thank you for your support and contribution to Dave's Head. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you for sticking with Dave's Head. My absolute favorite segment of my show is my grin, which stands for great reason to be in love with now. My grin for this very March Madness episode, the way I opened up and the way I'm going to close is March Madness. Now, pre-COVID, March Madness was my way to take a break from working out and eating healthy and enjoy my favorite time of the year. It literally is my favorite time of the year because you have nonstop games Thursday to Sunday, a couple weeks in a row, Cinderella teams, upsets, which are just crazy happening this year. But it was my time to really sit back, take a break. Yes, get a little unhealthy. And usually the week after, you know, during the week before the games, I usually go hard and 
working out, you know, a little bit, just hard working out just to make sure I keep my body going. Cause you know, I, I listen, beers, wings, burgers happens. So opening day, I usually have wings and pizza and one of my favorite beers, Mad Elf. Now Mad Elf is made by Trogues, which is a Pennsylvania brewery. And usually what I do is I go in the fall, I think it's September, October, maybe November, somewhere around there where they actually brew it or when they actually brew it. And I grab a case, bring the case home, store it in my basement. Don't open it. Don't touch it until March Madness. Now it's usually, it's 11% alcohol by volume, ABV, which you know, you see on the bottles, 11% alcohol by volume. But when it sits for months, untouched, unshaken, all that stuff, unopened, obviously, it gets a little bit stronger. Now, rumor is it's like 14, 16%. I don't know. But when I crack it open during March Madness, that first weekend, and I have like five or six of them, it's, it's a good night. I have a good night. It tastes very chocolatey, chocolate malt, um, cherries, honey, peppercorn. You had me at chocolate and peppercorn. But it's a pretty pungent beer, especially when it sits for that time and gets stronger. But it's amazing. It's amazing flavor. It's one of my favorite beers. It's my favorite beer during March Madness. If you're interested in checking it out, go to trogues.com forward slash beer forward slash mad dash elf. Check it out. But my grin involves freebies and discounts. Thrillist.com, which is thrillist.com, has an article featuring several places that offer free and cheap food during March Madness. The way you find it, go to their website. In their search bar, search for March Madness. You'll see an article pop up, which lists a whole bunch of places that offer free and discounted stuff. Now, I'm going to feature one of them. I'm going to talk about one of them. Buffalo Wild Wings, which has pretty decent wings, even though wings is in their name. I wouldn't say they're the best, but they're pretty decent. They tend to overcook them sometimes for my taste, but it's okay. I like soft, chewy wings. But they have a free wings for overtime games feature or you know thing going on right now. So the way it works, if you're a Blazing Rewards, I'm quoting Blazing Rewards, which is their rewards program. If you're a Blazing Rewards member, and a game goes to overtime, either check in if you're at a Buffalo Wild Wings place or if you place an e-com order or order online, the same day within 30 minutes of that game ending, they will reward your account with six free boneless wings. I think they said within 24 hours or something like that. Now, one thing I haven't checked and I don't know is say any particular day, multiple games go to overtime and you do this all within 30 minutes do you get multiple free orders of boneless wings? I don't know. For instance, four games go to overtime. Does that mean I get 24 wings credits in my account? That would be awesome. Just saying, but who knows? Who knows? But go check it out. Thrillist.com search for March Madness. You'll find not only Buffalo Wild Wings, but a bunch of other places that do either free or discounted things specifically for March Madness. So next to last thing, our monthly giveaway winner. I will say 100% without a doubt, the absolute most entries we've had for any of our monthly giveaway contests. Absolutely blew it out of the water. Like four times as many as our max so far, which was amazing. Remind you, our monthly giveaway sponsor is Jay's Box of Sunshine. This month's winner will receive a special t-shirt that has never been released, candies, coffee mugs, positive messages, 
and other uplifting related items provided by Jay's Box of Sunshine. Without further ado, our winner randomly selected for this month is email starting with A-L-Y. Email starting with A-L-Y. I'll be reaching out to you and subsequently Jay's Box of Sunshine will also be reaching out to you. Congratulations for winning this month's contest. If you want a chance to win, you've got to enter. It's free, 100% free. Hashtag free, like I say on my commercial. Congratulations again and thank you for all the entries. I'm telling you, we had a tremendous amount of entries for this month. We have better, not better, but more and more sponsors lined up for each month. Got some good ones though coming up. If you like food, we got a good one coming up. So go to the website, go to our social media. You'll find links to, to sign up there or just go to bit.ly forward slash DHP dash giveaway. It'll take you right to our website for the contest. I want to thank lastly, Charisma McElwain, multimedia personality, singer, songwriter, and writer for an amazing interview and amazing information and wealth and stories that she, sh she <laughs> shared with Dave said. We will gladly, gladly, gladly have her back for another episode. Thank you, Charisma. If you want to follow her on social media, you can follow her at Real Charisma on Instagram. And you can also find links to her website, which she said at the end of her uh, guest segment so go back and rewind if you want to so March Madness Charisma McElwain freebies and discounts all great reasons to be in love with now that's all for this episode of Dave's Head follow and feedback on our Dave's Head podcast Facebook page on Instagram and Twitter at Dave's Head Pod subscribe and give your sentiments at Dave's Head podcast on YouTube and listen on your preferred podcast player at anchor.fm forward slash Dave's Head Pod. For more information on all things Dave's Head, check out our website at daveshead.card with two R's.co. Episodes premiere on the second and fourth Fridays of the month. Thanks to all my headers for tuning in and remember, enjoy life because life should be fun. Take care.